Welcome, Guardians. It's March 27, 2016, and you're listening to Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. This is episode 19, and happy Easter. If you celebrate Easter, happy Easter. If you don't, well, happy Sunday. Um, in honor of the adorable little bunnies giving out chocolate and colored eggs, we're going to be taking, or <laughs> tackling? Tackling King's Fall, uh, which is kind of uh, like the high version Maybe, sort of, I don't know. Man, these intros are getting crazy. Uh, well, <laughs> well, maybe a candy basket version. Uh, we know now, but uh, King's Fall actually contains a lot of references to Holy Roman and High Catholic themes and architecture, some of which we're, we are going to discuss today. Um, but first, let's talk about who we are and what we're doing, and then we'll get going. So I am X-Ray441, as usual. And with me today, I've got uh, Drop Slash. How's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. Had a quiet week in Destiny for me. Just a, a lot of work going on, and I'm also neck deep in Dragon Age Inquisition, which I skipped over at launch, but I'm now playing. Uh, but I went back and did all the raid challenges this week and did some more exploring inside the raid itself to write up the notes for this show. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I saw that you were doing that. A lot of people are are jumping over to uh, the division and filling a little bit of, of uh, <coughs> I guess, <Beta>. slow time. <laughs> well, who, what? What was that? Uh, that was Gabble, actually. Uh, so, hey, Gabble Ratchet, what's happening? How you doing? Hey, not too much, guys. How's it going? Good. Glad to have good, you back good. with us. I know we've... Well, I'm around sometimes, you know. Yeah. And I know you like uh, King's Fall quite a bit since you only run the raid like 10 times a week normally <laughs> only so. only t- only 10 although this week uh when they when they made dark souls one backwards compatible oh. i basically haven't stopped playing it yeah i need to go do that just that game is going just back to that game infuriating though i hate that game but i can't stop playing it it's the worst <laughs> so good and the best mm-hmm. so yeah and then uh we've got a special guest with us this week from the guardian radio network podcast and uh at inside destiny on twitter the man himself Bife, how's it going? It's going significantly better than last week because I somehow didn't fall asleep. <laughs> yes. I owe you, yeah. I, I'll say it right now, I've said it before, but I owe you guys an apology for last week because, yeah, I did the stupid thing of saying I would be on a podcast and then falling asleep and missing it, so I apologize. And No yeah. No apology necessary. I mean, that's uh, life happens, and and we know you've you're a busy guy, and we're busy, and and uh, half the time we're rescheduling and changing stuff around. So we we get it. We understand. I've got kids and and priorities. So don't sweat it. Well, thank you very much. It's very gracious of you guys for inviting me on this podcast. So thank you. Well, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, let's do a couple little house cleaning things i guess or whatever you call them housekeeping cleaning uh we are at d ghost stories on twitter and you can email us at destiny ghost stories at gmail.com if you want to leave us some feedback comments uh you want to join our fan chat listener chat we have going on in slack it's still as active and fun as ever so you're more than welcome to shoot us an email and we will shoot you an invite and you can jump in and have a blast uh, and we're all there. All the all of our our podcast team chimes in and, and chats. So don't feel like you're gonna jump in with a bunch of strangers. Um, and they'll quick quickly become friends because we've got games getting set up. And and it seems like across a couple different 
different uh, medias mediums too, because a few of the guys have joined our uh, our listener chat ended up in some of the clans that we're in and are making friends with mutual old friends of ours. And I mean, I jumped into a, into gabble, gabble and, uh, and dropper playing. What were you guys doing? You were doing the Golgroth challenge last week and yep, yep. I just kind of dropped into their, uh, their party crashed chat. Is the word. Yeah, well, yeah. Crashed, crashed, literally yeah. crashed our crashed. party chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it was you two and uh, uh, the other, the rest of Drops Clan, which is two guys, and uh, and one of our listeners, and actually two of our listeners were there at first, I think, weren't they? Or just one? Yeah. Two. Yeah, because I took one of their places, I believe. And uh, so, yeah, yeah we I think it was, was that Mad Pygmy who was in there with mm-hmm, us? Yes. Yeah, and Goshawk. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so I ended up getting a spot when one of them got tired, and so... You want to play with us and jump into some games with us? Uh, the the fan chat's a great place to be able to connect with us, and and uh, and we'll play when we can. So, yeah, I mean, if there's anybody out there listening that has like struggled to find a raid team or anything like that, like we've got PS4 players, Xbox One players, like just get in here and we will find you people to play these games with. That's been one of the things that's been so refreshing. Uh, when I when Pygmy first. Uh, messaged me on Xbox. I was like, hey, do you want to run the raid with us? And I jumped in and it was my like my team of three and then two guys that he knows. Man, he is so good. Uh, and everybody who I've teamed up with through the fan chat is they're like not just like awesome lore fans and smart people. They're really, really good at this game. Uh, <laughs> and it is so nice to just like jump into challenges or jump into a raid and have everybody know what they're doing immediately. And just sort of, you can have that sort of like witty banter and have a casual conversation knowing that everybody is playing at maximum effectiveness. It's really nice. It's weird. It knowing that absolutely. some of the best people in this game also call themselves lore nerds. Like it's such false advertising, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm. we we uh I've, I've experienced the same thing man in in pvp we've got some guys that are just beasts and it's it's great it's so much fun to jump in there and and watch people play i mean it's and that's what i do i just watch people because i'm terrible so yeah i'm i'm the not not a, I'm, I'm definitely an exception to the rule of lore nerds are good players so um either that or i'm not really a lore nerd and so that's my excuse. Well, we just had to teach you that four comes after five, and then you were fine. Somebody had to yes. say five, so that uh, well, we won't go there. It's a long, sto- it's a long story. I exactly. know, but no one said four, or I was busy reading Grimoire off that green that dropped. Okay. So oh, okay, okay, someone needs to explain this to me. Did someone miss a countdown in King's Full Bombs? Like, what's going on? It was the go- no, the Golgoroth challenge when we're bouncing Golgoroth. So we do a strategy where we have odd numbers in the right, even even numbers in the mm-hmm. left. And then we bounced Golgoroth back and forth and everything was going off without a hitch until X-Ray was busy staring somewhere. I clearly heard Gabble say four <laughs> and mm-hmm. then X-Ray decided just to not shoot. <laughs> I don't know what was doing. Then I it was, was me going, oh God, he's shooting me still. Somebody please take the gaze. Five, where are you? Five, where are you? And then yeah. we I was and reading I was, that green helmet I just picked up. I was looking right at X-Ray's character who had his sniper rifle out but just never fired a shot. <laughs> I was reading that green. Well, it was either the green auto rifle or the green helmet that I had just picked up off a guy. So you know, it was weird that you randomly got like three green drops in the middle of Golgoroth. I did. It was awesome, and I had to read them all. And what was funny was right afterwards, I think I read uh, I read one of the the artifacts I got. 
I read it and we were talking about it for like a few minutes and all of a sudden Mag, Mad Pygmy's like, hey, look at this. And he read the exact same one I just read and I was like, oh, <laughs> did I not say that? <laughs> it was awesome. It was fun. Mm. So yeah, I uh, that was the only time I messed up. Then everyone else started dying and I was like the only guy left, so I didn't feel nearly as bad. Well, we had some weird... <laughs> yeah, as we all started wiping. Mm-hmm. We had some weird explosions going on down in the pit, like with random people just... Like they didn't, they didn't have the, the tainted light, the, and so nobody was exploding. Mm. It was just like, suddenly <laughs> you're dead. People just died. Yeah. Mm. And they said, killed by the architect. Like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. All the time. Or misadventure. Reminds me of, <laughs> it was once doing the gaze grabbing thing. And I think at one point I was literally just waiting for somebody on the other side to take it. And the other guy was being exceptionally slow. And I ended up just saying, okay, his back is open. Take it, 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 damn it, take it. And I think I did that for like at least another 10 seconds or so. I was out of breath and then he had maybe one second left. Because when I started, then I immediately assumed like he was out of position or something. But no, he was just sitting there waiting, trolling me. Like nice. This is he got this is my rape team. He got you to do your best Oryx impersonation though. (laughs) Mm. All right, well let's get this let's get this uh, show started. uh, Just because at the rate we're going now, it's going to be a long one. Um, (laughs) King's Fall. All this was set in motion long ago. He calls out, and the darkness answers. Eris Morn. So yeah, where do we want to? I made a note there. That is one of my, that line is actually from Regicide, not from King's Fall, but it is one of my favorite lines of dialogue in the game. Uh, And it's really the way Morla delivers that line as Eris. Uh, It seems like at that point, Eris understands that this is all, no matter how much she knows about the Hive, this is all beyond her. This is something completely different. And this is a story that is far older than she is. And it, she almost seems to be like developing a sense of pity or a sense of understanding about Oryx mm. uh, and how he has resigned himself to this fate. You really get the sense that she understands that Oryx made a bad decision a millennia ago. And it's one of those things where you made a bad decision in your life, but you have to keep rolling with it because there's no other option. Yeah. It's kind of, I, I would almost call it a sense of revelation, I think, is the appropriate thing, you know? Like, when, yeah. when you're eventually hit with just a massive information. Like, imagine the first time you read the Books of Sorrows, I think is another very appropriate way of putting it. Like, that's, she's getting maybe a fraction of that information, albeit in a very, a much more intimate way. And yet she's still having the exact same experience as you are which is very, very strong as far as I'm concerned for lore storytelling. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, yeah, I agree. And so, and we should, I mean, King's Fall, I mean, again, we just talked about it for like the past 20 minutes, but this is, this is the raid, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so I opened up here with the Road to King's Fall Grimoire card. And... I'll just go through it because I made a ton of notes in it and we can just sort of discuss sort of what these things either mean or or imply. Uh, We have confirmed it among our number within the hidden. I have asked Ikora's warlocks to reach out and they sense nothing. The orb is quiet. On the moon, his shrine is dark and cold. It is true. The taken king is dead. The hive's dark god and his foul son have been purged from the universe. 
She was right, scholar. Queen Mara was right. It is all down to the Guardians now. Let us hope they're up to the tasks ahead of them. Eris Morn, undisclosed report to Osiris. Mm. This is, this little card opens up so much about (laughs) what's been going on behind the scenes when it comes to the entire expansion. Uh, You know, the, this orb is quiet is that's Eris's tomb husk that she sort of keeps floating around with her. Uh, The shrine in reference here is the shrines of Oryx. Uh, which is interesting that she says it's dark and cold, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but then she has this line, it is true, the Taken King is dead. But not really. Mm. Um, not a true death. Not at all. And it's also interesting here because she mentions Ikora Ray. So at the end of the mission i'm drawing a blank the name where you have to go to the top of the the spire on venus where the last shade of oryx is ikora after you beat that ikora says you sent oryx screaming back to the ascendant realm so ikora knows that the king isn't dead that we just sent him back to the ascendant plane yet eris here having already talked with ikora and her hidden just claims that he's dead Again, a lot of these things lead me to believe that Eris is a very unreliable narrator. <laughs> she just sort of she just sort of says things that she thinks sound good that may not necessarily be true. Hmm. Well, maybe it's just that's her way of putting it. It may be the case that she acknowledges the difference between, you know, a death in this world and maybe the death in this world is the only one that's relevant to Osiris at the time. Yes. I mean, because, of course, like, the next question you then have to ask is, why is she reporting to him? Like, what is his significance in this? What is his role to play? And, I mean, it, you know, aside from the fact that he's always trying to find, like, the root of the darkness and he's investigated Oryx's shrines himself, like, why does he take so much concern in what we do with this, I suppose? I don't know. There's You could draw some more obvious conclusions about all of this, but... <laughs> Well, she also refers to him as the Hive's Dark God, which makes me wonder if she understands the pantheon of higher worms that exist beyond Oryx. Mm. Like, granted, Oryx has sort of sidestepped that power hierarchy by, you know, by slaying Akka and then communing with the darkness directly or the deep directly. He is he's sort of sidestepped the worm gods. They still have their hooks in him, uh, but he has power Mm. maybe not equivalent to but certainly far beyond what he had previously. Like, as he becomes the Taken King, he gains this uh, this power. So she could understand him as a dark god, but, I mean, is he really? I mean, that's, that's part of the big perspective thing. You know, we look at a god as immortal, and to a certain extent, they have achieved some level of immortality. But, you know, the minute you start talking about a level of immortality, you then all of a sudden have to question the phrase a god in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Well, and how much she knows about the the worm gods is going to be tied directly to when she got a hold of all those calcified fragments we took to her, hmm. right? See that? Yeah, I mean that's technically true. You know, those those calcified fragments get dropped off with her, and if those fragments really are, you know, equivalent to a page from the Books of Sorrow, it means that she has read the entire Books of Sorrow as well, and ostensibly did the translation that we read. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting concept. Uh, 
Makes me wa- well, makes me wonder, like, when it comes to Eris, though, imagine if she can't read this. Because with all of these different cards and whatnot, she is still, with her connection to the Hive, being able to grasp so much. I, it makes you wonder, all of a sudden, whether she just knows this through some other means. Because, I mean, for, you read you well, the Touch of Malice card, right? It's really clear she, yeah. that she knows what's happening. Because she talks about wounding them to their core. But she has Toland's journal. Mm. And she spent a lot of time with Toland. Like, and enough that she learned Toland's weird magic. Mm. Which then raises the question, how much did Toland really know? Well, mm-hmm. it also begs the question, if that was one of Tol- if teleporting through Ascendant space in an Oversoul throne is a trick that Toland knew, what was it, what were his real powers like? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, pull the rabbit out of the hat, that's a trick, you know, cut a woman in yeah. half and put her back together, that's, you know, the real magic. That's... Scary. Uh, so his foul son, that's Crota. I mean, it's so funny how in in light of all of this, even reading through like all the books are Crota is such a footnote. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm, God. Uh, purged from the universe, and I made a note here that this is I think this is reference to our physical universe, our plane of existence. Mm. Uh, it, Scholar here is a direct reference to Osiris. That's sort of like his nickname. Uh, and then we had this line. We've seen this. We've heard this spoken. Uh, it's in the texts. Uh, Queen Mara was right. But about what? Mm. Uh, it makes you... Is, mm. No, sorry. Go, go for it. Drop. Well, so <coughs> this is... So Queen Mara was right, followed by it's all down to the Guardians now. So whatever Queen Mara was right about, it happened... It happens prior to King's Fall, and it happens prior to the Guardian's involvement. Mm-hmm. So she was right about whatever she did <laughs> during that opening cutscene for the Taken King. That that was her that was her gambit, and whenever it was, she was correct about it. We don't know what that was. We postulated on the last episode because a precedent was set that the Awoken have the ability to create an illusion of the Harbingers attack uh, without them actually attacking. So maybe the entire attack that we saw by the Awoken against the Dreadnought was all an illusion. Aside, I'd, I'd agree were it not for the fact that it destroyed all of the frigates. Maybe, I don't know. For me, that that's kind of a big thing of saying, well, if that's just an illusion, then, I mean, you know, just as Tolan's tricks are still pretty impressive, that's an impressive illusion. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, we don't, we don't know what she's... She could be putting on a show for somebody, and, and it has to look... If it had to look good, then it had to look That's good. That's a fair point. That is a fair point. Not showing your true power. It's kind of... Yeah. One thing I'll uh, also say about this, though, uh, when it comes to just Mara and doing that generally, there's a lot of talk between, you know, the Books of Sorrow and the Vex and all of these higher powers of the darkness about the paracausal nature of all of these different players within the universe. And maybe it's simply the case that she's kind of testing her might against Oryx's on that kind of field. Like, I don't know how much she can tap into the paracausal powers. She's not a guardian, but she's clearly really, really powerful. She's also not somebody from the darkness who kind of can defy that, just as Oryx and the Ascendant Hive do. So, I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, that's one of those things. I, we talked about this in a previous episode as well, where... Ikora postulates that the ability 
Oryx's ability to take something can't be natural. He he didn't just find some natural ability to do this. It's not like the power's out there and somebody just has to find it. Mm. It's something that he actually sort of manifests, which I think is wrong because he, that power came from the deep. And if the deep is part of the darkness, which is a naturally occurring phenomenon in this particular universe, it just means that he's tapping into aspects of this natural element of this thing. Now, with, with so that, I could disagree because it may be the case that both the darkness and the light aren't necessarily a product of this universe but instead they're a product of the netherverse as we term it and that you know that depends on how you view our universe and the netherverse whether it's like two separate things running in parallel or whether it's just all part of the same hodgepodge uh, well, I mean, we know there's separate planes of existence there's our physical reality and then there's the ascendant plane at least mm. uh, but that also again if Oryx so say for the sake of argument we'll say that Light and dark are these naturally occurring, like, cosmic forces. Oryx has discovered a unique utilization on the the darkness side of it. Uh, who's to say that Mara didn't discover some other application? Like, if if it exists as raw power and then the manifestation is how the user shapes it, for lack of a better term, mm. and no pun intended, uh, it's not unrealistic to think that the Awoken have the ability to take tap into the same sort of like natural batteries and craft it in some other way. Mm. Goes very much so, the core of how light and dark works. Yeah. So for all of Oryx's power, he's he's just tapping into something that already exists and is utilizing it a certain way. And to think that he's the only being in existence who knows how to do that is kind of silly. So mm. and if anybody else could do it, it would be the queen. It would be mm. Mara. But dude, it makes some sense, right? Because oh god, I'm trying to remember in the Grimoire, isn't it the Hive Wizard quote? Um, where on the initial Grimoire card for them it simply says, What I saw can only be described as magic. Right? And it maybe it's simply a case of we have these mechanics within the universe and it's simply a case of understanding them. Just as like if you showed electricity to a caveman, they wouldn't understand it and they might think it's magic. Yeah. The line you're referring to, yeah, is from the wizard Grimoire card says the only word for what we saw is sorcery. Mm, there we go. And that's brought up too also in the Books of Sorrow where, you know, the worm gods are basically like, Hey, you're not going to understand this. You can just call it magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Makes you question, man. So, and then this next line, uh, let us hope they're up to the tasks ahead of them, which is strange. So this is, this is Eris acknowledging that there's still more work to be done, even though the Taken King is dead, which she said four lines ago. So. Mm. Uh. Uh, and then, yeah, undisclosed report to Osiris. So Eris Mourn is in direct contact with Osiris. Yeah. Jealous? Very jealous. <laughs> 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 oh, God. The conversations, so, man. The conversations I wish I could have. And even, But even this, like, again, you know, it's so funny. I wonder when Eris first showed up in the tower ranting and raving with her her ship like tethered to the side of the tower like a horse at a bar in the old west did anybody have any concept that eris would become this important to this sort of like generation or this year two of destiny she went almost from like a bit player to one of the most essential characters in the story mm. 
Uh, and I think it's fascinating. And I've, I've wondered a lot about whether or not they sort of wrote Eris in as this bit part and the story evolved around her or if this has been the plan from the very beginning mm. to introduce her as such a major character, sort of so under the radar uh, and then just blow up uh, her importance. Mm. And if that's the case, what other characters are sitting there under the radar right now? Because, I mean, yeah, exactly. It, you know, it makes you really question, like, I mean, Varix is having a lot of stuff to do in the April update, and so is Petra, I guess, but how much are they going to become a significant character in the future of Destiny as well? Uh, we have all we have all long postulated that mm-hmm. Varix is like the... Uh, is the Kel of Kells. Yep. Yeah, Kel of Kells, <laughs> the omnipotent janitor trope. Mm-hmm. Is the one. Hmm, Maybe. God, that's again we can speculate all we want but I just want to find out April update and future DLCs can't yeah. come sooner man year right. 7 year 7 Varric's officially crowned Kel of Kel yes uh, so let's talk about some of these tasks the uh, the tasks ahead of us as the guardians so I think King's Fall as we all know takes place aboard the Dreadnought uh, and the first place you land when you start is the Hall of Souls, right in front of the Court of Oryx battlefield. Uh, and this involves collecting tomb husks. What the hell is a tomb husk? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, well, it's better to have one and not need it than to need one not and have not it. have it. <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ghost and Toland, for not explaining any of these things so according to toland this is great so the question is what the hell is a tomb husk according to toland it has long been my belief that the binds which hold the gravest hive terrors could be lifted by releasing the energy stored within their tomb husks that doesn't answer the question toland mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> bungie just loves doing that don't they <laughs> they certainly do i although this i love the reading of that line in the game uh i love Whoever the voice actor is for Toland, he's fantastic. Uh, he just reminds me like that, like sort of like nerdy, pushing his glasses up, like, let me tell you about tomb husks. Uh, <laughs> mm, yeah, pretty much. It's like, you know what it reminds me of in other games? It, it's Piero Joplin, because he's always, it, it's from Dishonored, right? He He's sitting yep. down and he's literally that exact same voice. And it's just like, he talks about this advanced stuff as if it's just, you know, oh, everybody will understand what I'm talking about. Like, who wouldn't? You know, like, they're so wrapped up in their own world. And that's, it's such a fitting thing for Toland in particular. So, but we know that tomb husks are, they're basically like a storage medium for necrotic energy. Uh, they act as keys. Mm. Uh, the weird little bone thingies that float inside them. I mean, I guess the necrotic energy has to come from something. Uh and Toland's quote here also is a little bit vague in classic Bungie fashion where it says, you know, uh, the binds which hold the gravest hive terrors. And then it says, you know, uh, within their tomb husks. Who does the there mm. relate to? To the hive in general or to those hive terrors themselves? Like, is the tomb husk a piece of the hive terror that is locked away? Uh, and so by by using the tomb husk you're releasing some of that necrotic energy back into that hive terror to unlock mm. it is it plausible perhaps and this is going on the limb like spin foil instantly here but is it possible that crota's crystal is just a massive tomb husk exactly yeah exactly and we come across these crystals a lot on board the dreadnought mm. as well that contain the souls of hive all i know is that they're really good for hitting things mm. with 
<laughs> and if you're if you're playing the raid and somebody's not doing their job and knocking those barriers down that go up, as soon as you pick up the tomb husk, you have to punch the barrier with the mm. tomb husk. As Cade would say, <laughs> just just shoot the damn thing. Yeah. Uh, but I made a note here that this aspect of the raid uh, opens up the the most important question for all of King's Fall. Why would Oryx allow this to happen? Uh, this is I feel like this question hovers above the entire raid. Oryx is in complete control of his dreadnought. It is his throne world. Nothing happens there that he doesn't know about. Why would he even allow these tomb husks to manifest? What is the reasoning there? Why? Mm. Oh, you mean like specifically why leave this door that someone else could come in and open? Yeah. Why? Because he has to constantly test himself to prove he mm. is the final shape. Precisely. Right. But so why doesn't he just invite us straight to the transept and have a showdown? Like, why don't we dwindlers ridge him? <laughs> because, like, have a because if you can't beat the war priest, you're clearly not worthy. If you can't destroy his tithes in the form of Golgoroth, then you're not worthy. You know, it is admittedly like the entire thing is part of what Toland is saying on the uh, like... I can't remember if it's the road to King's Fall. I think it's one of the actual Oryx cars, like Oryx Dubuque, where he says, mm-hmm. it is on the Dreadnought in this Ascendant world where you must make your final surest argument. And like, therefore, if you're thinking of the argument as the most literal thing you could and you're equating it to your combat, an argument isn't just a word. An argument is a set of principles you're putting forth and, argu- and you know, <laughs> literally arguing with someone about. Yeah. So you're saying, I am stronger than the War Priest. I am more capable of destruction than Golgoroth. I was able to best him, even though it's, you know, the darkness and his realm. And I am more practiced than you in the sword logic because I beat you. Therefore, I am stronger. That is my surest argument. You know? I have I have the sickest slam dunk move. Precisely. So I'm going to take these tomb husks. <laughs> you can't handle these moves, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we learn, I mean, we learn, we learn, uh, in enemy of my enemy that the statues can control where a rupture leads. Uh, so, but we'll talk about this right here. So th- these six tomb husks open the court of Oryx rupture. Uh, and if you scan this rupture, uh, you get a bunch of different things from ghosts, including there's a stream of interdimensional energy concentrated within that field. But we also get this, you referenced this earlier, Bife, uh, which is the output is consistent with my readings of the shrines of Oryx on the moon. Osiris believed that all of the shrines were connected and went searching for their nexus. I think we found it. Did I tell you that Osiris never returned? That is the text or the, what you get from ghosts when you scan the actual court of Oryx rupture. So... This thing could quite actually be the the nexus point of all the shrines of Oryx. Also, this creates this. So if Osiris was hunting for it and found it, that means Osiris at some point was or is aboard the Dreadnought. Mm. It makes uh, it makes a very interesting point about the shrines, which is they're probably not just for communication, because if Malok... Um, from what we can tell about the grasp of Malok, is making many offerings of light at the shrines. It makes sense then that the Nexus is at the Dreadnought because it's a way of like all the different shrines are just pooling tithe to Oryx. Yes. Also, it should be noted that he says shrines plural. Mm. So uh, more of them bad boys out there. Oh boy. We've only discovered one. 
Oh, dear. Uh, so, but we also know that in the regicide mission, you can scan a rupture and ghosts will say it was open from the other side, meaning that those six tomb husks could have actually done nothing. <laughs> and it was Oryx that opened that rupture and allowed us to pass through. It has nothing to do with our actions. Mm. His argument versus ours. We got to test yeah. ours at every single phase. So, uh, and I made a note here that uh, the major hive and taken that we fight in the court at this point are dead. So it's not like anything too dangerous is going to come through that rupture unless he's going to send the, you know, Tysabethy perfect raven after oh, us. Please which... no. Also, please yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh god. So, but we'll we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. So the next phase of the raid is called the Crux. It's not not of Crota. It's just the hanging crypts, the jumpy things. Uh, I have no speculation about those. I mean, I don't know why you would have those things just swinging in your house. I mean, unless it's like a perpetual motion machine that he keeps, like Oryx keeps on his desk. Like that's his version of it. <laughs> his version of that spinny thing next to the speaker. Yeah, there you go. So, or maybe there are, maybe those crypts, those are hanging crypts that used to contain the ascendant that were part of the court. And then when you activate the rupture in the court with the rune, that they come out of those crypts and jump through the gate. Who knows? But that implies that they were imprisoned in the first place. And admittedly, some of the members of his court, like Mengor and Krog, have done, you know, they've disobeyed Oryx, but... It is great. Now I want to count those things and then count the number of Court of Oryx bombs. Thank you very much. <laughs> I will not be able to I sleep. will save you trouble. There's only four or five of them and there's a, well, there's many more Court of Oryx bosses. Yeah. But those things are they're also like huge, so... Yes. Yeah. They're like, take, they're taking Pokeballs pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so you get through that part and that takes us to the portico and the tomb ships. So a portico is a real thing. Uh, it's an architectural design. I, there's a little picture of it here. But if you have seen any kind of like old sort of like Greek or Roman architecture, you know what a portico looks like, uh, which is just sort of that that long rectangular building supported by columns. Like I think all the like so much even Western architecture now, like courts and uh, government office buildings like have this classic sort of portico architecture. Hmm. Uh, but this is going to come up much later when we talk about what's coming next. Uh, so this is just a jumping puzzle. It's the portico. Uh, it, it exists in two parts. There's the major jumping puzzle, which has tomb ships, which are hive drop ships. We always see them sort of tear through space time transdimensionally. Like they use the, the green shrieking ascendant realm ability but here they just like transmit in and out mm. i don't do we it, have any idea why they just do i this? mean if this is inside oryx's throne world and like if on the bungee live stream where they had the ride along for the dreadnought they talked about how when oryx takes himself they're able to access the throne world and it's not inverted if i'm not incorrect about that you can then link that to what the uh, what happens with some of the ascendant hive, such as the daughters of Oryx and Crota, in the like Nether worlds, and specifically in Oryx's throne world before it's the Dreadnought. You know, they cut wounds into the world is the exact uh, expression. 
And, you know, if if it's just a case of those things are teleporting, then it makes a lot more sense for them if they're just not changing dimensions to be less violent. Whereas if you're cutting a wound, it's a very deliberate phrase that you're using there, you know? It's saying so this, is a, ag- this is a process that scars the universe, you know? I will agree with you, but if you stand in the Hall of Souls, every once in a while a tomb ship tears through and it makes the classic screeching noise, the green field, mm. uh, and it's right aboard the Dreadnought. Which makes you question how much of the Dreadnought is there for his throne world. I don't know. Like, there you go. Yeah. Well, at the very, we'll, we'll get to this later, mm. but at the very end of the raid, uh, in the transept? I, uh, forget, no. I have it written. No, the threshold. threshold. So I think we all know, and any of us who have done the raid, have been killed by that stupid tomb ship oh, yeah. that, that screeches in out of nowhere. Mm, uh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those damn Axion darts, man. They suck. Well, that's another thing. So the tomb ships in uh, in the portico never fire their Axion darts, mm. even though we're jumping around all over the place. Damn. It's like, <laughs> it makes you frustrated in a sense, because sometimes I'm sure that the guys at Bungie are like, they're trying to make lore stuff out of gameplay mechanics. We just put that in there because it looked cool. Like, uh, Does anyone want to tell them that? <laughs> I don't know. Makes you wonder, to, uh, like, great, how much of that actually is the case, right? That's our uh, that's our excuse for why the Archon Priest is back. Yeah. Gameplay. <laughs> no, let's not talk about nope. that. I won't. That's not. Yeah, <laughs> I know better. Uh, mm. So and then so the I mean the portico wraps around. There's the two platforms to stand on to drop the shield, uh, and then a single with a single shrieker guarding the hallway to the basilica. Thanks. Thank. This is a this is a hell of a resistance you're putting up against mm. us. Some argument, then, bro. <laughs> Uh, and then the uh, the teleporter, the teleporter straight up. After that, so and now we get to the basilica. This was one of the most fun parts of these show notes that I put together in a long time. Uh, so, and I put here before we start, let's talk about the word basilica. <laughs> so, the Latin word basilica, uh, which means tribunal chamber of a king, was originally used to describe an ancient Roman public building where courts were held. Uh, as well as serving as other official and public functions, the basilica was centrally located in every Roman town, usually adjacent to the main forum. Uh, buildings were rectangular, often a central nave and aisles, and usually a slightly raised platform, and an apes at the opposite end of the entrance where officials sat. So... That all sounds familiar to what we know in the Basilica. Uh, I love this part where courts were normally held. So this is possibly, given the war priest exists here, but maybe the rest of the high war also hung out here. Mm. Uh, So then that name was also sort of taken and reapplied to Christian churches uh, when they adopted the same basic layouts. Uh, It continues to be an architectural term used to describe these kinds of buildings. Uh, and actually, in sort of in our world, there's only four major basilicas that exist uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and all of them contain a holy door. Uh, they outrank all other basilicas that exist. They're basically like the four high churches. Uh, and they all are given special ceremonial rites uh, by the Pope. 
four in this case, Oryx. <laughs> so I have I have pictures here. I don't know if we can put them in our show notes, but if you look at these two photos, you can see that the basilica that we fight in looks very similar to this. Like you can sort of overlay this on the architectural design of the basilica that we fight in. Uh, especially that center piece with where the gigantic uh, door would be that leads to the war priest himself. Uh, but wait. Let's talk about some other cool things about the word basilica. (laughs) Basilica is also a genus of moth from the Noctitudae family, often called Noctids. Uh, And as a cool throwback, if you remember the cloak Shroud of Flies, the hunter cloak from Crota's End, the pattern on that cloak is from the Noctitudae family of moths. Here's some other fun facts. Uh, the larvae of most kinds of noctuids are called cutworms. Uh, they hide under the soil or other objects during the day and only emerge at night because they try to actively avoid the light. Uh, <laughs> they're notorious pests. They're voracious feeders. And the way they eat plants is by chewing at the stalk or the stem of a plant uh, in order to knock it over and just sort of like drain things out of it. Uh, there's a lot of references going on there. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so I highlighted uh, noctuids because it's not hard to just think noctuids for me. Oh, yeah. When I, when I see that word. <laughs> uh, the only emerging in the dark and actively avoiding the light, like that's kind of cool so it like not to dwell too long on Nocris, but maybe that one of the theories about Nocris being oryx's mate is actually the correct one seeing as you know uh cocoons it's like it's symbolizing death for a long part of the hive society but it's also about bringing life etc i don't know like yes yeah, well it's about rebirth mm, throw all the spin foil at this one <laughs> yeah well, so then I have a Shroud of Flies. The description on Shroud of Flies is they gather where death steps. And we talked about that previously uh, with the artifact Light of Moths. So you see moths appear all through hive architecture, usually where around soul crystals or where death is most likely to occur. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to Golgoroth's maze. <laughs> uh, And so this chewing through the stem thing I also thought was really interesting because the stem of that plant can also be called the mast. And we know from the Books of Sorrow that the hive hunted down the gift mast and sort of sucked all the light right out of it. Mm. Uh, They feasted on that thing. So we got two allegories here just from the word basilica, one about the sort of like moth-ish nature of the hive and one from the actual architecture itself, and both fit really well. Uh, And then this note here I have at the end was, ironically, cutworms are also hosts for numerous parasitoid wasps and flies. Uh, So these are types of wasps and flies that lay their eggs inside cutworms uh and then sort of act as parasites and eat them from the inside out which is even similar to what the worms do to their hosts Mm -hmm. so this is like a full full circle reference all from the word basilica god damn uh so next time you enter the basilica in the raid take a look at the architecture uh and then remember don't get some weird thing laying an egg inside of you i don't know 
Gross. No face huggers. Yeah. <laughs> face huggers bad. Very, very bad. And that takes us, yeah, so to this next part of the raid, the War Priest Trial. Uh, and I love this part. The The War Priest is a complete and total badass. Uh, and so when you first enter this space, you have all those hive worshipping in front of that door. And, I mean, I like to imagine that they are trying to prove themselves worthy through worship for the War Priest. <laughs> uh, now, I got to imagine that the War Priest, and we know this from the enemies that appear during the fight that the war priest probably or we know this the war priest commands sort of like the forward army of hive for oryx so i have to imagine that if you're lowly hive acolyte trying to climb the ranks you probably want to impress the war priest and whether you do that through tithing to him or you do it through worship uh you know you're trying to get that guy's attention being like hey take me under your wing and let me fight for you. Kind of reminds me of like that one line from Dishonored. It's talking about the outsider and how some people are trying to get their attention. He's like, you know, they'll conduct barbaric rituals and they'll, you know, try to summon me forth or do these acts to compel me to appear. If they wanted to actually make me appear, they should try being a bit more interesting. And so it's like, <laughs> basically, it's a big way of saying you're doing it wrong. Like, we come in here, and then he's like, oh, oh, they know what's up. Like, you know, they're proving themselves worthy. Look at that. Well, whatever those Hive are doing, uh, those Acolytes, it's enough that they will not notice us, like, walking right up next mm. to them. Like, they, they're they committed to whatever they're doing right there. Uh, and then attacking them sort of starts the entire encounter here, and that lights up the Annihilator totems. Ooh, uh, old friends. Yes. So we know these from the Books of Sorrow. This is verse 4-3. Open your eye, go into it. <clears throat> Come forth, sister wizards called Ir Halak. We need you. Ir Anuk pulled a star sword star out of the sky. Together, the wizards charged it with the killing power and made an annihilator totem, which they used to smash the Vex. Uh, so we're no stranger to annihilator totems. They're, as you said, they're old friends. Mm. Uh, they appear in the Oversoul Throne. They protect the bridge uh, to Crota's chamber in the Oversoul Throne. Uh, but and interesting, the mechanics are different, though. So in the Oversoul Throne, the... Annihilator tomes are sated just by us standing near them. So whether they're feeding off our light or our, I don't know, our entire presence undoes what they do. Like our maybe our our presence there is like as an extension of our will. We're proving our own existence, thereby denying mm -hmm. the totem's ability to annihilate, which is a very common thing in sort of like hive spaces where you have to prove your own existence consistently. Uh, but that doesn't work here. Uh, here, you can only survive them with the brand of the Unraveler. Uh, the Unraveler being Irhalak. It's Well, that's the thing, right? Because it's brand of the Unraveler in one chamber, but it's split down the middle like the sisters, of, daughters of Oryx, rather. So, I mean, you know, on one side it's Unraveler, on the other side it's Weaver. Yes. Seeing as it, you know, it's the, you could go back to Black Spindle and look at the reference, you know, it's the thing about one is, they're trying to make Oryx's reality and a world that, you know, 
works with what the Hive are doing. You're not a part of it. So on one part, you're being undone by Erhalak, I want to say, is the Unraveler? Yeah, Erhalak stands at the front of the ship and undoes reality, and then Ir Anuk stands at the back of the ship and reweaves it into Oryx's reality. Mm. So in both instances, basically, you are against that vision. So, you, yeah, protection is required. So, <laughs> Want to take on Oryx's daughters? you got to bring protection. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> sorry. Oh, that's a terrible I, I had to. I had to. I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Oh, Gavel, at this point, just cut to silence and insert the Death Singers dirge from the Taken Time soundtrack. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh, please, no. <laughs> so, and then, so either one of those will grant Death Singers power, which charges the glyph on the center of the floor, which in turn charges the runes that surround the door. Uh, We've encountered this before. We encounter this in the Sunless Cell, where Eris says uh, hive runes bar the doors shut. So we know that, you know, so now we have, so what do we have? Uh, runes conceal doors. Uh, tomb husks conceal doors. The, the hive got a thing with doors. Mm. <clears throat> I love them doors. But it's not clear what the Death Singer's power actually is. Like, it drains out of us into this floor thing, but, like, what? what is the Death Singer's power? Like, does this mean we could sing the song if we wanted to? Like, I don't... Are there, like, lyrics? Is this what it's giving us? <laughs> I think it's what you were talking about earlier, you know? You hit it on the head when you were talking about how we're essentially just proving our own power. So it, it's maybe even just simply a case of saying, like, we're existing in this world where you have control, and yet we have the power to determine our own, you know, uh, God, lost train of thought. Yeah. You know, we, we have the power to determine our own destiny, essentially. Yeah, you, we, we, we make our own fate. It's, it's the whole paracausal nonsense all over again. I love how that quote from the Vault of Glass just comes back. Time Always. and time again. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, we're going to try and sneak somebody else in here. <laughs> I wonder who. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, and then the colors. So the, the left side of the basilica is red and the right side is blue, which is sort of unraveling and weaving. Mm. And I can't see anything on the red side, so I always go right. Really? I, I think left is so much easier. I just, I don't know. I can't tell where anything is. I have tried both <laughs> and I will be able to do either. And I think it's just... They're both pretty. They're both very pretty. I mean, I can I can do left, but I mean, I can do right, but I just the left side. I mean, I don't know. It depends. Like, what do you? And this is sort of getting sort of into the game itself a bit mechanically, but like, I I up to this point in the raid, I'm still running my sword. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. I like to run with spindle on this, and seeing as my sword is always a raise lighter, by this point, I tend to have switched out to a machine gun, but. Oh, see, I always use bolt caster. Ah. So Tech. for me, it's it's shooting a tether uh, at the gate, <laughs> tethering everything that comes out of it, and then bolt castering the entire area, and just leaving a pile of orbs <laughs> on top of the uh, the glyph in the floor. Oh, yeah, My yeah. I've always found that inevitably, when a knight or two, a sword knight or two, make it to the plate, to the totem, and everybody's panicking, I just waltz in there with a sword and clean it up. They're mm. like. 
Oh. Yeah, that's what I do. Thanks. <laughs> Kill him on the way back with my sword. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I think that's probably one of my favorite points in the entirety of Destiny to use Bloodbound as a Night Stalker. Just throw that thing down and you have like a group of thralls. You just start attacking the knight. All the thralls instantly die. <laughs> Beautiful. The other thing you can do is if somebody's, depending on how you play, uh, you can also use the quiver with the trap modifier and you leave one at the gate and then one on each side. So ah. anything that's running left or right gets trapped. Uh, so people running back up get a clear shot and then people running back out get a clear shot. Nice. Never thought of that. Uh, so yeah, so the war priest eventually will deem you worthy uh, when apparently you feed the door enough of the bar. So this makes sense. Uh, you know, if this is a trial, if this is a test by the war priest, him deeming us worthy at this point is saying, all right, you know, the the, the daughters created the annihilator totems you you figured them out. You've killed enough stuff here. Uh, you managed to get the door open. F- come on in. Like, uh, come into the house and, and let's do this thing. Mm. I mean, Oryx would say it himself, come for me, warrior of light. I will finish yeah. what Crota began. It's kind of, <laughs> he's basically saying, come at me, bro. Yes. <laughs> what, did, what did Crota begin? Crota began like a quarter of a percent of what Oryx has the ability to do. So it's funny to me that he says, uh, I will finish what Crota began. Maybe all, maybe it's always, uh, it's always been a test, right? Like if yeah, the hive the guardians, moving, oh, sorry. If the hive are moving towards that perfect universe, surely every single time they come across something, they're just doing their duty. I mean, it's, they've probably talked about this elementary but point. The, the volume of guardians that Crota, you know, slew before us, you know that's that's a that's a pretty good start, in my opinion. <laughs> that's true. Mara Ibrium did change things. Yeah, I guess that's true. I just, I mean, it's like his one. It's like when when your kid plays, you know, <laughs> he's a one bit wonder. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's, like, it's like it's like your kid your kid plays uh, uh, an eighty five thousand year soccer game and he scores one goal. And he gets like the participation trophy, like yeah, you got that one goal. Like that's the one thing he did. <laughs> yeah, but if it's a goal in the World Cup, you know that's that's pretty pretty good. Mayor Ibrium was not the one. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ask the thousands of guardians that are no longer with us. Right. Okay. So so the kid the kid scores a goal and then like goes and takes a nap and then his what his dad walks onto like the Pee Wee soccer field and is like I'll finish what my kid began like. <laughs> not really that impressive i'm loving this image of oryx as just like a very bored soccer dad <laughs> sherbert pop pay attention <laughs> i mean that's what it seems like to me like okay cool crota managed to do one good thing uh in his life which was kill a bunch of guardians which led to them being defeated by one guardian on a ddr dance pad like <laughs> <laughs> or with rock, or rock band, or, rock band. or blindfolded, oh or just how many ways have we killed Crota? <laughs> like, so, oh man. So if that's what Crota began, then okay, Oryx, you sort of asked for whatever you got. <clears throat> uh, that takes us into the War Priest. I'm going to read the War Priest Grimoire entry because I absolutely love it. As you can tell by the number of highlights <laughs> I have on it. Uh, 
even maybe not more so than Oryx, but of all the Ascendant Hive that we have destroyed over the course of the past sort of year and a half, losing the War Priest, I feel like, is a major hit. Nothing. There's no other. There's very few characters or very few sort of enemies that we encounter that have the sort of like power behind them that the they seem to have with the war priest <clears throat> uh sure i mean if anybody wants to read it uh please feel welcome to uh, like, uh i guess i could go ahead and read if you want but yeah, you you yeah. sound like you're very into the war priest so i could save i could save my thing for later i don't know should we go for a drop uh, just just do yeah, it we'll, we'll you, you want to yeah. do this man go for it okay <clears throat> 585 times he paced the way. Under each circuit was a world. He took up the worlds. He placed them in his hand. He weighed them. From the golden amputation to the gift mast. The principle he put upon his brow was slaughter, constant and escalating. The principle he put behind his eyes was victory, which is the last true shape. The principle he put into his hands was tribute to Oryx, king of Taken. Tithing to his lord, that the first navigator might escape the need to kill for sustenance, the worm need. That he might use his power to lead the final work, a most faithful servant, most faithful. From mighty Crota, son of navigation, sword of pits, he learned to make his oversoul, saying, challenge me by the laws of my ascendance, match me in bloodshed or in blood be drowned. Uh, War Priest is metal as hell. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. I, I mean, I love this card. I love the, the imagery it sort of creates here. Uh, I love uh, everything about this. I want to break it down a little bit. And we'll talk about the War Priest and some of these things. So this first line, 585 times he paced the way and under each circuit was a world. Is this confirmation? Of how many worlds the Hive have taken. Exactly. I mean, it, it's, if you think about the amount of time they've spent, it's close to what? I want to say roughly 20, they spent 20,000 years or so, probably a bit more than that, conquering yes. worlds before they got to us. So it's like, 589 or however many civilizations does not sound too far-fetched given like the amount of time you must have spent in space travel true and we also know that some of these quote-unquote worlds were actually like massive spanning civilizations like the ecumen council oh yeah uh, was enormous it contained like hundreds of other worlds within just itself so if you're counting all those species inside a singular instance of worlds here or civilizations and that's actually a much larger number 585 would be like a a summary of all those mm. things rather than individual yeah but uh 585 minutes late to a podcast when we have a guest <laughs> is sometimes that not segue. acceptable hey hey what's up handsome dragon <laughs> hey, he's been he's been here the hey whole guys. time he's just been very very quiet yeah, i was just really quiet didn't really have anything to say not really a very big topic for he's me. never rated before nope. <laughs> never what's what's king's fault what are we talking, We're talking about? about how you is, forgot is, 
Is this about talking Easter? about how you forgot your Death Singer's power, <laughs> the runes, and a tomb husk <laughs> to get your door open? Mm. <sighs> I did. I did. <laughs> no, we have one of those latches on our door to keep our because our my daughter knows how to unlock the door and she tries to run around when we're not paying attention. So we put got one of those like hotel locks that you can like latch the door. And so my wife had that on and then went to bed forgetting that that latch. <laughs> and was you on were locked door. out of your so, room where you <laughs> podcast was, from. Hmm. Yeah, I was out. I was locked out out of our apartment for about twenty minutes. <laughs> and she used a triptych of hive rooms. There mm. you go. She <laughs> said to be unbreakable. <laughs> so, so it's all right. It's all right. We figured it out. So. I'm, I'm here. It's Five going very well, my friend. How are you? Aside from being locked out. Oh, oh good. It was a long twelve-hour day of giving mimosas and cocktails all day so long, where so. ours easter mimosas yeah mm. they, they should be in the mail so oh, we'll be there with you. <laughs> <laughs> excellent all right so sorry to interrupt yeah. i, hey, I to... don't want to i don't want to derail let's let's get back to the to the good stuff so we're talking about uh the war priest so uh the next thing i have highlighted here is that uh the principle he put upon his brow is slaughter, constant, and escalating. And this is sort of that proof of existence we talked about. And this ties into sort of the tenets of the sword logic, which is that proving by killing a thing, you're proving your existence is greater than it. Uh, you're, you're defining your entire sort of existive reality by saying, I am more powerful than this other thing. Uh, which is why it's constant and escalating, which is in all the times we've talked about sort of the hives philosophies and the sword logic and these things. Uh, and this even is brought up, I think in the books of sorrow is that eventually they're going to run out of things to kill. <laughs> what happens at the end? Like, is that the perfect shape is victory when you have killed everything in existence? I mean, it's, How it's you- like Tolan says, right? Like he wishes to, you know, he doesn't just to wish... Wow, words are hard at this time of night. Um, okay, so with Oryx, he's trying to become, uh, you know, the same as death. He's trying to make himself part of that meaning to become a definition of it. And so with, with that in mind, you know, by the time he's killed everything else in the universe, surely he fulfills that definition. And But then he, be, but then he becomes the definition of a thing that could no longer exist. Because nothing else could die because they killed everything. But that's, in a sense, maybe that's why he doesn't care. I don't know. Like, maybe, I mean, you know, obviously he cares. But by that point, he's thinking, I've accomplished that perfect shape. And surely that is the best thing for the universe, even if I die. Like, it's his weird, twisted philosophy. But, you know, by that point, does it really matter to him anymore? Well, I mean, so that's the question. As sort of, to me, it, it kind of... It, it almost reeks of, uh, I'm a vampire god, and I will turn everything else into a vampire, but if I turned everything else into a vampire, there'd be nothing for me to feed on, so mm. then what's the point? What's that film where they play with that concept? Like a world that's filled with vampires and they start running out of blood. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was not a good film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Uh, anyway, back to the war priest. Uh, so the principle he put behind his eyes was victory, which is the last true shape. We've talked about that a lot. The final shape is victory. Uh, so this is a, just sort of a reiteration of that. 
Uh, the principle he put into his hands was tribute to Oryx, king of the Taken. So this comes right from verse 3-9, carved in ruin, uh, which is Oryx establishing uh, the order of tribute to flow upwards towards himself, uh, Savathun and Jivuarath, creating the great river uh, of tribute, <clears throat> and how that will be used to defeat their gods and study the deep. Thus, all worms will be fed as long as they continue the crusade. So, again, once you've killed everything, how do you sate the worms? That's a good question. <laughs> so, and then, this next line, tithing to his lord that the first navigator might escape the need to kill for subsistence, the worm need. So, the war priest here is trying to kill so many things that Oryx doesn't have to anymore. <laughs> or at least not to say it is worm. And we know that Oryx's worm has a secondary need, and that is that he must perpetually explore or be curious uh, or navigate or the worm will eat him inside out. So this could be just re removing one of these sort of requirements of Oryx's worm. It makes you question, though, because normally in the chain of tithing in the Ascendant realm and the hive structure generally, you know, you, ha you tithe the remainder after you've taken for yourself and used a little to grow. So does the Taken not need a worm? Sorry, does the War Priest rather not need a worm? Because it, it then, you know, this. how would you then set someone up who understands the sword logic perfectly doesn't want to take for themselves and their entire purpose is giving well he could still be he could still be taking what he needs like again according to oryx's thing is that yeah yeah like you said you'll take what you need but the again the war priest could be just thinking sheer numbers here where mm. uh you know even one percent of a billion things killed like keeping for himself is a whole lot <laughs> <laughs> to feed himself uh, and still sending a ton up the chain. And if the war priest reports directly to Oryx, as it seems, then a huge portion of his tithing is going directly to Oryx. Mm. Uh, there's no, the, there's nobody taking that bit. There's no from perpetual the middleman like there is yeah. with like the tithing you'd get from a million thralls. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it makes sense that the war priest here's job is to just like, murder <laughs> uh, this next line it doesn't come through because we're we're talking about it but that he might use his power to lead the final work so both he and his are capitalized in this sentence and so not anywhere else on this card so but we know the word his so tithing to his lord that the first navigator might escape the need that he, so I believe that he and his here refer directly to Oryx. Uh, they're like the, the proper use of this pronoun. But then who's writing this card? <laughs> mm. uh, uh, so whoever's writing this card respects Oryx enough to capitalize he and his in reference to him. Uh, the same way Lord is capitalized previously. So originally, it's like, did the war priest write this card? Uh, like, from the third person? That doesn't really make any sense. Uh, 
But this card is written as an observation of the war priest, but also someone who respects Oryx's power. Mm. Screams Tolan to me, as I'm sure you <laughs> guys know, are thinking. I know. I was waiting. <laughs> well, I just didn't I mean, want to say mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the yeah. the next sentence is going to confirm that the war priest didn't write this. So yeah, because unless Among unless yes. they do the weird thing of talking in like a uh, third person or something. Well, this last line's really cool, too. So we get a most faithful servant, most faithful. Mm. Uh, where have we heard that before? <laughs> uh, that if you get rid of all the lines before it, that could be a reference to Malak. <laughs> Damn. Which, which then begs the question, is Malak as powerful as the war priest? <laughs> oh, God, if that's the case, then you, <laughs> you might have to worry about him resurrecting Oryx. Yeah, so... And even so, even looking at this, if Oryx was to leave a vacancy, you know, I would argue the war priest could probably wipe the floor with Allah Cool the Dark Blade. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, and Allah Cool had sort of like this this grand notion of replacing Oryx. Uh, Allah Cool never would have beaten the war priest. Mm. So if there was a being who could potentially step in and take Oryx's place, it is the war priest more than anybody. Uh, and if this line, this most faithful servant line, is a reference to potentially how powerful Malak could be, uh, we're in for a hell of a fight mm. <laughs> with Malak. I mean, it's it's not just that, but it kind of brings up the interesting notion of like who is worthy amongst the hive's massive chain of ascendance that we've just boiled our way through. And I mean, if you think True. about it, it, it's kind of frustrating then because. Like, let's be brutally honest. The War Priest, as far as raid fights go, it's satisfying because it's one of the easier ones. Like, when you have the mechanics down, it becomes super, super easy. And, you know, it makes sense yes. lore-wise because, you know, you're matching him in destruction. You're literally just going up and being like, okay, so I'm going to kill Acolytes to maintain my uh, my brand. Uh, I think brand of the Initiate, isn't it? Yes. 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 And, you know, like, that mechanic in itself is nice and simple, but for the most part, you're just sitting there dealing massive amounts of DPS. And, like, it's frustrating that he is as powerful a being as you talk about, but then he's, like, he's the first raid boss tank, not, like, the second. Yeah, and he just marches around the top of that platform. Mm. You know, Like, like my giant head, please shoot it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you even see this hitbox, bro? (laughs) (laughs) After hearing this... And then it jiggles it around, and... (laughs) <laughs> After hearing this and and uh, thinking about Mal- Malak, uh, it makes me just I, I can't help but just see this this kind of utmost respect they have for Oryx, you know, in the fact that they are this powerful and haven't that we know of, you know, taken a, a swing at the the big chair. You know, they mm-hmm. they're not they didn't try to overthrow him or, or try to try to go against Oryx. And I think, weren't there a couple of the, um, oh, uh, the, the court of Oryx, uh, bosses that it was implied that they kind of, of were stealing from Oryx. Some of the, yeah. Yeah. So these two, these two weak, you know, underlings <laughs> had the had the gall to to try to steal from him and and who knows what they thought you know as far as as what they were doing, but you know to to read this and to think about that and and Malak in a way that like you know they are hugely powerful and yet there's no word of them you know 
doing anything kind of of behind the scenes to to yeah. go mm-hmm. after Oryx or whatever. makes you question maybe they know yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, yeah. so here's a question. So all this is happening in the Basilica, which we just talked about at length. Uh and we know that the Basilica is where courts were held. Do we do we want to postulate the war priest is possibly part of the the high war? Is he part of the court or does he exist separately from that? I think he is kind of because you're looking at the court of Oryx as kind of like the most important ascendants that you have at Oryx's side, aside from, of course, the ones that aren't with him all the time. So, you know, you're looking at Crota and maybe his siblings, but they tithe to themselves, so that's kind of irrelevant anyway. But the war priest, if he is leading the high war and if he is kind of conducting all of this, he has a central role in the plan. And he records all of the instances where you've got active conflict of the hive because, you know, the 589 paces. Yeah. So at very now, least, if, if he isn't co- like doing some coordination, he's doing something to lead. Now, if I was playing the court of Oryx and the war priest stepped out, <laughs> yeah, go to orbit, uh, back to the tower, uh, inventory, and go to bed. <laughs> how ridiculous would that be? I mean, we know that they're updating Court of Orcs for higher level items. Ooh, I mean, how oh, crazy would gosh, it be if would the be War Priest came out of that game? New oh, weekly man. antiquated rune bosses? Like, oh, Ooh. gimme, Bungie. <laughs> There's still a few few of those uh, those statues that we haven't had to access through the court yet. Yeah. So oh, that's some, so true. Oh, my God. You know, the opposite yes. side. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Can you imagine that? Oh, that would be glorious, yeah. dude. So we know from the Books of Sorrow from A Golden Amputation... Uh, the third pace, which is on the third pace, Oryx's war priest meets them in battle and he is victorious. He paints the void with fire and he salts the earth with ash. So, uh, I mean, so the first two steps in this card are really just sort of sending the blights and then the, the Tysabethi unleashing their, uh, battle plates and arsenal ships to fight the moons. The third pace of the golden amputation really is the first assault assault of the hive. And it is led by the war priest. So it's no, it's not like the war priest sits back and does nothing. This guy marches at the front of Oryx's army when he is conquering. Mm. Uh, and we talked about this. The brand of the initiate is what is granted when you properly activate the glyphs in the war priest chamber. Uh, it's maintained by killing acolytes. This also grants your uh, strike team uh, the aura of the initiate, and that allows them to damage the war priest. Uh, I have to imagine this is this would be even if it wasn't guardians, right? This is how other hive challenged the war priest for worthiness. Uh, like imagine you're witnessing this as like as Toland, the guardians aren't there yet, but some uh, ballsy acolyte has decided that he's going to challenge the war priest. Dumb brothers. He, has, <laughs> uh, he they they have to go through these same steps, uh, and I imagine this is all part of a greater ritual. It was never really expected in the course of this ritual that the Guardians would step in and try and take a crack at it. Uh, but this sort of challenge me by the laws of my ascendance, match me in bloodshed or in blood be drowned. Uh, that, that is the rule for anyone who wants to challenge the War Priest, not just the Guardians. Uh, and those initiates, I would imagine that at a certain point, the War Priest would deem an initiate worthy and would sort of like absorb them into the fold as you know whether it's those crazy yellow bar mm. acolytes 
it, um, it kind of makes you think all the way Adams, back yeah. to kind of like the original ideas behind liberal academia and the the <laughs> conflict of ideas, right? Because what you'll do, you'll pit two ideas against each other, and even if one of them loses out, just because you've pitted the two together, you've both learned something. So in a sense, you know, it's this, like for them, it must be truly a place of learning and ritual uh, yeah. as well. Because, you know, like even though one of them dies, ultimately the hive as a like overwhelming entity as a society is learning more about what the true face of destruction looks like. So I to combine that with the fact that, you know, take Basilica again with the wording and whatnot. Yeah. Am, am I not correct that Basilica sometimes were places of learning as well? Yes. So, it, it, you know, references upon references. Well, I, I met those acolytes at the very beginning, the adepts and the acolytes praying to the door, you know, imagine them as a strike team. They're, they're, they want that challenge. They want to be initiates. They want mm. to challenge the war priest to, to ascend themselves. Uh, and then we throw grenades at them from behind. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I've been waiting. Yeah, I was waiting in line for months. <laughs> I just wanted to try. Wanted to try oh, out those team. annihilator totems. We didn't know we had to do anything with those. <laughs> Unless you have a ballsy warlock who's running Voidwalker, because a shatter void bomb can kill all, all of those that. acolytes and adepts in one hit, which mm-hmm. is crazy. But. Feels so good. <clears throat> now I, I've, uh, I've snuck up into the middle of that group before and not triggered them, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, they're, mm. they are very focused on whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. Almost oblivious. You can actually sword all of the regular acolytes and just leave the adepts, and then they'll, they won't even notice you. Interesting. <laughs> well, I think somebody on Reddit also posted that if you Nova Bomb and manage to kill everything before they notice you, the Annihilator Totems won't even activate. What? Yeah. No, I know what I'm trying. <laughs> I'm going with that ballsy triple Nova Bomb Warlock. Yeah. Holy Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we have the Oculus. So my personal belief is that the Oculus is an effect of the War Priest Oversoul, which we know he learned from Crota. Uh, Crota referred to as Son of Navigation. Uh, we, that makes sense. Oryx is the first navigator. Uh, but then we have Sword of Pits. That phrase does not exist anywhere else in the game, in the grimoire, in the texts, nowhere. This name for Crota, Sword of Pits, is totally unique to this entry. And it proves that it's contemporary, too. Because, I mean, the pit is very clearly a reference to the Hellmouth, so that would have had to happen within at least 300 years. Yeah, Makes you wonder, like, again, given the pits is maybe our interpretation it, it's another marker showing this was toland or eris or a guardian Zyrus, somebody from our time and not uh oryx talking yeah he learned to make his oversoul we know that crota learned to make his oversoul from his sisters which is verse four eight of the book's partition of death uh so Crota learns it from his sisters, and then the war priest learns it from Crota, which is hilarious because I think the war priest could probably take Crota and fight. Uh, <laughs> if oh, yeah. it's like a bully asking a nerd to do his math homework, I say asking <laughs> in inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, l- I love uh, how hive society for us has been boiled down to just like a bunch of nerds and a bunch of chocks. Yeah. 
Mm. Uh, well, but we had the sisters directly involved in the Basilica with uh, sort of their brands uh, and and these annihilator totems. So you know, this again, this could be a thing where he learned the Oversoul from Crota and then went to the daughters and helped him perfect it because his his the effect of his Oversoul seems both more powerful than Crota's, but at the same time, maybe not. Defeated uh, by Shade. Yeah. <laughs> you can hide from his oversoul. <laughs> but, you know, he sort of has this ability to summon it, you know, not at will after you've shot him in the head enough times. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although you can defeat Crota's oversoul with a sword. Mm. So. Oh, yeah. I get, yeah, you can block his oversoul straight up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, Man, it implies the, the a more powerful oversoul than in hard mode. It's implied <laughs> at least that there's uh, he needs to power it though, because after he does it, he draws power from the column that you just uh, hid behind. Right? Yes. Yeah. So potentially, it's a way of saying like, yeah, my thing is more powerful, but with more power comes more sort of steady reliance on some kind of source of energy. Or I guess I always assumed that was referencing the new abilities he got after each. Uh, mm column was destroyed yeah so that too well yeah so i was thinking about this earlier so and it's not in the notes here because i didn't have time to stick it in here but you know in hard mode the war priest then gains a taken power after each phase right uh so it occurs to me do the abilities the taken get are those manifested as a result of them being taken, or are do those powers pre-exist? Like, were those powers created by the war priest and then given by Oryx to individual taken? Like, take the, the crazy dude. I'm inclined to say ball. yes, and the reason because yeah, that, that's the only example of a hive with with in air quotes taken powers, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, not just that. Look at the way that each of the Taken are described. Oryx says, you know, you were this, X, Y, Z, now you are Mm -hmm. Taken, and then describes to them their weakness. And he says, take this knife, its shape is, insert whatever their weakness could be solved by here. And, you know, from that moment on, they are now Taken. They are closer to the more perfect shape. So in the case of, say, uh, like a whole bunch of Hive Wizards, you know, numberless legions or call forth a legionless I think is the uh, yeah. uh, exact description and for Valus no Primus Taon it's you know loneliness yeah so if I if I recall correctly uh, Malak doesn't look completely taken correct so maybe we'll see some of the similar you know hive taking on powers like the war priest did mm. well so then, so this occurs to me. So, say these powers originated with the war priest, right, and they were handed down to the lower taken by Oryx. So, and like as you just said, so when Oryx takes something, he basically imposes his will uh, on that. He he describes their weakness and then brings them closer to a true shape by making up for that weakness. What if this is the great lie? of being taken that there's a limited number of power or powers or abilities that exist for taken uh obviously oryx has taken hundreds of other species of things not just vex fallen cabal uh and hive but what if there's a limited set of powers so when you're when oryx takes you know 
say, uh, a captain uh, the ability to hide. They, the captains are targets on the field, so they need the ability to blind their enemies. That's not unique to the captain. Oryx is telling them that it's unique. He's making them feel special by giving him this power, but this power has been given to hundreds of other creatures over the course of the hive's existence. And this is the great lie of being taken. Oryx isn't making up for your weakness. He's telling you what your weakness is and then giving you a power that already exists, unbeknownst to you. Uh, So that was what I was thinking when I was thinking about the war priest having these powers, these powers have existed long before any fallen captain was ever taken. But Oryx can convince, he can use his will to impose upon a taken captain that, oh, I'm defining your weakness and now imbuing you with the strength that you think is original to you, but is actually just a set of powers that I can draw from. Mm. And it makes it makes being taken a lot less of sort of like, I'm getting you closer to the final shape and more like, Hi, you have now become a willless slave in my army. (laughs) I am using you. Here, take this weapon. Literally, take this knife, you know? Take this knife. Damn. Isn't that what uh, I've I've heard speculation about, what the worm is doing to Oryx, essentially? Kind of using him a little more than we actually think? Oh, absolutely, I think. I think, yeah, that... The, I think the extent we we know that was a raw deal. I think the extent of that is way more than we know. Right, and and so what I'm saying is it's kind of the same raw deal he's imposing upon the Taken. So yes, yeah. So and that that goes back to the conversation in the grimoire with Ikora and Eris and Eris believing that almost like being taken is a gift, like you're becoming a more complete thing, uh, but it's all a lie. It's it's all fabricated. Uh, Oryx is, his will is so strong, he can make you think whatever he wants you to think. And if he needs you to feel like you're being made stronger so you'll fight for him, that's what he's going to tell you. Uh, but it may not necessarily be the case. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, it seems like uh, the War Priest Oversoul is like this giant blight thing that is just sort of floating there in the center of the the top of that platform he fights on you can jump straight into it and just immediately kill yourself (laughs) without ever even starting the fight if you want Uh, also there's a double meaning here for oculus i just thought i'd point this out so oculus generally refers to sort of the opening of an eye which makes sense for the effect that it has but if you picture an uh, those a greco-roman column like the ones that are used in basilicas and porticos up at the top, they have those sort of like spirally edges that looks like a wrapped up scroll. Uh, those are called volutes, and the center of the spiral is called an oculus. Uh, so it is another architectural term with a double meaning here in the raid. Mm. <laughs> Amazing. <clears throat> the things you learn. I know. Uh, you see, so really, now, architects that- should study destiny, right? <laughs> It's well, it's amazing. So I, I spent a lot of time looking through screenshots of both the Basilica and the portico, trying to place sort of the design of it. Uh, I'm going to do that on the raid this coming week. I, I apologize in advance to my raid team. I'm going to be sightseeing a lot (laughs) because I'm going to try to map the interiors of some of these spaces and then see if I can superimpose them on some of this classical architecture because I think would match up really well. 
but that's another thing. Uh, uh, X-ray, I interrupted you. I apologize. No, no, you're fine. I probably don't even remember what I was going to say, so we're good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, so let's move on past the War Priest. Giant, giant rupture opens behind the War Priest once he's dead. Open from what side, we do not know. I'm guessing the other side. Uh, and that goes right to Golgoroth's cellar. Uh, so the line I have here is an excerpt from the King's Fall Grimoire. It's not the entire line, but it has some pretty serious ramifications uh, and a theory that I was talking about earlier today in our fan chat as well. Uh, as you can see from my notes with the big fat suck it, uh, a non-pig. <laughs> suck it. <laughs> <clears throat> So this is believed to be one of these uh, messages from Toland. Uh, and it's the, uh, so this is an excerpt from King's Fall. You were not supposed to touch the light. How did you find your way into the King's cellars? How do you even recognize that benighted draught for what it was? Do you not know that the hive pursue light precisely for the purpose of devouring it with slavering jaws and slick, greedy, gulping throats? How did you take, or rather untake, the blighted light that Oryx gathered to offer and sacrifice to Akka, and ignite it so that it burned and burned the darkness? It was barely light anymore, but you took it, and when you took it, you did not keep it. You set it free. <laughs> uh, I like to imagine that these questions are being asked rhetorically by mm. Toland. I almost imagined him uh, when he's saying mm-hmm. this, like he's he's not even he's just shouting this at the guardians. It's like it, it's as though somebody is, you know, told, hey, go in there. We want you to take this guy alive. And then all of a sudden, you know, of course, the guy gets killed instead, quite deliberately. It's like we needed that information and yet you decided to kill him anyway. You know, there's that same level of why did you defy this very obvious purpose that we had? And so Toland is, you know, to me, this just shows how utterly obsessed he is now with conforming to the sword logic, because he sees it as, like, he very much understands that final shape of the hive. And he's so obsessed, at least this is how I interpret it, he's so obsessed with it that he can't even fathom of anything else. Like, to him, there is no other way you can possibly exist. And in a certain sense, perhaps that's the reason why he survives in the netherworld, you know? Like he's able to actually tap into this so well. And so in a sense, he's proved it. Right. So the end of this card would supports that belief. But when I read this, I also think, so if we're operating on the potential belief that the, the orb of light, that spark that you follow all through the taken King and all through the raid is actually Toland leading you on a path. Imagine these questions asked rhetorically. Uh, this is Toland saying, Oh, how did you find your way into the cellars? Meaning, it was me who led you there. Uh, how did you even recognize that benighted drop for what it was? That was me. I showed you what it was. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, you know. did you not know that the hive pursue light precisely for this purpose? He's like, of course you knew. It's been explained to you. Uh, he's asking these questions rhetorically because he's trying to get the guardians to understand both his involvement with this and what it is they've actually done. Uh, I think, you know, Toland's, a huge part of Toland is, is his, he knows all this, but he can't get other people to understand. And it's a huge frustration mm. for him. So by asking these questions rhetorically rather than accusatorily, 
He's trying to make the Guardians realize, hey, understand this thing that you've done. Like, it, it's right there. Can't, can't you see it? Don't you understand? Uh, I led you here so you could understand, but you just sort of like blasted through without thinking about it. You were supposed <laughs> to think about it. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of an analogy for like 99% of Destiny players versus uh, more people, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Like that poor, like that poor knight on the on the ghoul <laughs> strike. Right right past Everybody just runs straight past. Like, hey, <laughs> I have a unique name. Please read about me. <laughs> Please use a three of Tell the coins. Tell I said well, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's there's even the wizard in uh, the summoning pit strike, the Fogoth, whose name is Mormu Zolspa. Yep. Mm. Which is, you know, I don't know of any other worm spawn <laughs> wizards out there. Not, not wizards, but uh, Merok is an ear prince. Mm. He's the guy who guards the sword and yeah. the sword of Crota mission. Well, there's, there's like, uh, uh, as well as that, isn't there, um, I want to say it's a Yule spawn wizard, but in the Dredgen Yore Thorn Strike. Uh, where you're finally cleansing that and you need to kill one of the, the special wizards. Oh, oh no, yeah, no, no, yeah. sorry, I'm, I'm totally wrong. It's Sayo the Unwed. I'm being an idiot. Yes, that's... Okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Got excited for a moment there. I'm <laughs> sorry. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Making fun of that poor woman. Uh, it's not her fault. She's not married yet. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> so this is super... This, this right here, you know, the phrase untake. Uh... I pitched this theory. So we know, we've experienced this in the past. Guardians have the ability to purify light. Uh, we've, we encounter this quite a bit throughout the course of the story. Uh, you know, potentially also with the chalice in the Crota strike. <laughs> I mean, strike, yeah, might as well be a strike. The Crota raid. Uh, <laughs> you know, or even with the, the shard of the traveler that we find uh you know, the guardians have this power, this this power to purify light. But what they don't know, or we don't know that they might have, is the ability to untake, to to undo Oryx's ability to take something. Like that's huge. Uh and the ramifications that can possibly have, you know, if we can untake, you know, corrupted light, could we untake a taken being? Uh can we purify anything that's taken? Like, that's crazy to think about. Uh, mm-hmm. And that that raises a lot of questions uh, about what Oryx's power is and the Guardian's role in it. Uh, and, like, even... And we're not there yet, but even in the last fight, if Oryx really did take himself to become the final shape... During the course of that fight, do we untake him so he just becomes a regular hive again and that's what allows us to kill him? Like, the ability to undo the act of being taken poses a lot of serious ramifications for the world. Uh, and one of the, the things that I threw out there, like, as a complete and utter spinfoil theory, was that Marasov says that the guardians are the key. We read this at the very beginning. You know, the guardians were the key, the guardians were the key, the guardians were the key. The key of what? Well, what's the possibility that Mara Sov in that battle allowed herself to be taken? 
because she wanted to witness the final shape. But her will is strong enough to resist Oryx to a point, plus she knows that she can be untaken by the Guardians, or by a Guardian, which is where the key, where the key to the ability to witness the final shape, but then not be a slave to the will of the one who showed it to us. It goes back to that old thing, and I keep, maybe this is just me, but I keep on being brought back to the idea of paracausal levels of power. You know? Like, in this instance, it's us simply saying, no, Oryx, we are the ones who are able to determine the fate of these beings as well. You know? Like, we, yeah. we can shape what happens to them in a way that is more meaningful than you can do, or at least on a level that is comparable. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's... If, that, if that's the next evolution of what a guardian is, like, that that opens a lot of doors. No pun intended with our door talk earlier, but, uh, like, that's that's crazy. That's That's an ability we haven't even come close to witnessing in the game. Uh... But that's unbelievably powerful and holds a lot of room. Like, if could we could we restore Toland? I mean, would Toland like, want to be restored? Yeah, my I would guess no. <laughs> but uh, is that like um, is this is this power something that Osiris already knows about? Is that why he's able to traverse the gate network so easily? Because mm. he he's incorruptible. Because he knows he has the power to untake or purify anything that could possibly happen to him. But if if that's the case, then is why that, are the guardians the key? Surely he can just do that tomorrow herself if she's influenced the final form. Right. So that raises the question: Is Osiris actually a guardian? Mm. We talked about that a little bit before. Where there's this whole thing where he might be some crazy experiment. He might be something that's com- like has light powers because he was experimented on, but isn't actually a guardian. Like that's. What makes us so important and not him? Makes you question whether we're ever going to find Lysander at some point. You know? Yeah. I still subscribe to the idea that that's just Lysander being a jerk. (laughs) And (laughs) rightly so. I mean, it could just be slander. (laughs) He seems like a complete and utter jerk. Lysander (laughs) with the Lysander. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm terrible. I'm so sorry. Wow. Uh, Is that, yeah, exactly. Is he listening? I mean, that's <laughs> quite a pun. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. He's, he's, he has a lot of influence on me, whether I like it or not. <laughs> blue, blue is kind of like my worm. I'm sort of enthralled to him. Ooh. <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of lore. <laughs> All right. Well, so this... This is Golgoroth. Uh, well, we have Golgoroth Cellar, so which is like this the maze, uh, where there's pits you can fall in. But as long as you're paying attention for the moths, you won't fall into them. Uh, this is also the the chest that nobody ever gets in <laughs> King's Fall. This I would love to see the activation numbers on the bungee side about how many people take the time in any given raid to get the hidden Golgoroth Cellar chest. <laughs> Guys, got to get them antiquated like the, runes. Uh, it's like the Gorgon's. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the Gorgon's chest that no one ever gets. That stopped getting very early on. And yeah. oh yeah, I think I mean I would love to just see the numbers on number of suicides on top of that column at the very <laughs> beginning of the maze, <laughs> with people just like killing themselves with touch of malice or rockets to, mm. to jump to the end. <laughs> 
I like the maze. Uh, I always run it if I can. I, I don't know why you would build one in your house. <laughs> like, it's kind of, it, sure. it does remind me. I mean, you know, we go back to the cellar and the reference to a wine cellar is very obvious here, I think. But especially if, yes. the, if you know, light is considered a delicacy amongst the hive, who knows? Keeping it kind of contained in this kind of environment, maybe there's something to it. Like, wine yeah. sp- correct me if I'm wrong, but there's specific points of the architecture of wine cellars where they are very specifically built to house the, uh, like, <laughs> the liquid itself. Not just in terms of the space, but also in terms of, like, the atmosphere that you create. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. As somebody who lives very close to wine country, Sonoma and Napa, yes, mm. it's true. Okay. Uh, the interesting lines of the blighted light that Oryx gathered to offer in sacrifice to Akka. If this that dead worm, mm. yeah, you mean the, the the dead worm <laughs> that is whose husk is the dreadnought? <laughs> like, does he have to keep sort of like sacrificing light to Akka to keep the dreadnought running? Like, what is the the implication there but anyway that's what Golgoroth is guarding and then when we get to sort of Golgoroth's chamber this is probably the area of the raid that is most closely connected to the books of sorrow because uh, of a certain large you know, object in the center of it question mark yeah <laughs> that thing we just leave there <laughs> so uh this is the this is the excerpt from the Golgoroth card uh there's other parts of this. There's the also the Books of Sorrow, verse 4-1, Battle Made Waves. Let's read this Golgoroth card and, and talk about it a bit. Uh, because poor Crota gets Aww. sort of backhanded, <laughs> backhanded once again. Uh, but if somebody else wants to take this card, you're, you're more than welcome to. Uh, uh, yes? No? Maybe? maybe? I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll do one of the later ones. It sounds like, sound like a... <laughs> okay. All right, so I'll take Golgoroth. Okay, cool. (laughs) Speak to the heart with burrowing things. The burrowing things will strengthen the heart. You, Abjol, you teach us new flesh out of the old. Joel issued you to eat us. This new flesh will be testament. O ear, decree the shape of this new thing. Judge its testament to the last truth. This new shape is Golgoroth. Crota rose to petition. Father, cut the shapes into a tablet. Give me the tablet. I will bear it in battle and tithe one side of my sword to you. Oryx cut the shapes into a tablet, but he guarded the shapes. He set the tablet in Golgoroth, where the new flesh grew as Ear decreed it. Like ice on a stone, he rebuked Crota. From the temples of his son, from the left of his blade, in battle he demanded tithings of violence to Oryx, the first navigator, who directed the movements of great masses. Uh, this ties directly, though, to books of, like I said, Books of Sorrow, verse 401, Battle Made Waves. I'll read that right now because the implications are enormous. <clears throat> Oryx went down into his throne world. He went out into the abyss, and with each step he read one of the tablets, so they became like stones beneath his feet. He went out and created an altar, and he prepared an unborn ogre. He called on the deep, saying, I can see you in the sky. You are the waves, which are battles, and the battles are the waves. Come into this vessel I have prepared for you. And it arrived, the deep itself. Uh, We've talked about that, Battles Made Waves, uh, which is a reference to another Bungie game. Uh, 
you can listen to our Bungie lore episode to find out exactly where it came from. Uh, <laughs> but this sort of implies that Golgoroth is a vessel for the deep. Uh, that Oryx basically wanted to give the deep a way to manifest itself either in his throne world or on our plane of existence. And he did that by creating Golgoroth. Uh, and then the Golgoroth card itself talks a bit about uh, Joel and Ear. Uh, that phrase ab Joel, the prefix ab just means away from or down from. So this uh, this means away from Joel. Again, we don't know who's quite writing or speaking this card uh, when it comes to the lore. Uh, I love that Crota rose to petition. Uh, <laughs> so this is a great, this is Crota, basically Crota feeling like, hey, hey, <laughs> give me one of these tablets. Like, let me be this great, powerful being that serves you, dad. <laughs> you know, give me the, give me the keys to the car. <laughs> uh, and Oryx said, yeah, okay, here. I just made a copy of the key to the car, but then he gave it to Golgoroth and not Crota. <laughs> mm. It's kind of, uh, he pulls a Frank Underwood on that and he basically says, you know, if you want to get something, you've got to take it. You are entitled to nothing. Yes. You know, I mean, he said he's, that's his, his yeah. one line he always repeats with Crota, basically, you know, I give you nothing but for your first sword. Yeah. He's got some tough love for, for poor Crota here. Mm. Yeah, and we know he did uh, kind of something similar in, uh, what's the, uh, is it Lokar? Yes, the, 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 the nameless wizard. thing. Yeah, the nameless, and then, you know, Crota kind of says, and you're, kill her, dad, <laughs> kill her. <laughs> oh, okay, she, I just put all the pointer to my court. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's always just like little, hmm. yeah, it's, it's like he's, he wants, or, or, or wants Crota to man up, and, you know, if, if he wants the tablets, Take the oh, is, you know, he wants her dead. Kill her. Like they were, they re- <laughs> yeah, they really, they really yeah. weren't kidding when they talked about how Kurt was the youngest and weakest of the Hive pantheon. You know, it's like yeah. he's just the definition of a wimpy kid. Yes, yeah. it's, inc- it's kind of incredible. But here, so, but in all these instances, and I, we know, we know that like to to kill something in the Hive is to love it, like to. To slay it is to worship it. To worship it is to love it. To love it is to destroy it. Uh, but man, Golgor I mean, not Golgoroth. Crota gets a raw deal here and is... I, I have to imagine how mad can Oryx really be <laughs> that we killed his son mm. when he is giving this kid, like, nothing but, you know, crap his entire life. Like... <laughs> Maybe maybe uh, it's one of those sad yeah. sob stories where he realizes, oh, I loved him all along. <laughs> it's like, what, what did you think was going to happen? Mm. Uh, are you really that surprised? Uh, anyway. I think part of the the need, and everybody in the ads for the Taken King said, oh, it was all about revenge. I don't think it was, partly because, you know, Crota is a tithe to Oryx as well. Yes. Because, I mean, really, at that point, it's kind of, that's the first step on the way for the Guardians making their surest argument, so to speak. It's That's their way of saying, hey, Oryx, we're coming for you next, and this is his way of saying, I hear your argument, come at me. You know, it, like, he, it, it's almost as though this entire structure is made 
for Oryx specifically to prove this one purpose and not even to extend his life. Like, that's maybe something that happens as a result of him winning, but that's not why he exists. His entire existence is built around the idea of I've got to be the one to prove that I'm the best. Right. And that's and that's like a core tenant of the hive. Mm, but then but consider it's, but that it's like why it's, it's weird because it's then it's second to self-preservation, which is also kind of the core tenant. Right. I mean, it, it's like, I don't know, maybe I'm getting a bit mixed well, with words there. But also like so consider why did we go and kill Crota? We didn't go and kill Crota to exert our existence over his. Like, we went down there because we were helping out Eris. <laughs> you know, this thing killed my friends. You know, my ex-boyfriend killed all my friends. Can you go kill my ex-boyfriend? <laughs> uh, also, he has a new, now that, a new girlfriend, Omnigool, and I don't like her. That is uh, some pretty extreme... Uh, <laughs> God, what's the one film I'm trying to remember? <laughs> like, evil ex-boyfriends? Um, yeah. Scott Pilgrim, that's a pretty extreme Destiny yeah. version of Scott Pilgrim right there. <laughs> so, but so consider the ramifications of that. So either Eris did that sort of sincerely, like, oh, this traumatic, terrible thing happened, yada, 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 we know Eris' story. Oh, he poses a great threat. Well, the Guardian's like, oh, I guess we'll go take care of this. Or consider that this has been a manipulation by Eris the entire time. Because she knew that by us defeating Crota and exerting our will and proving our existence over his would basically issue a challenge through the Ascendant Realm, knowing that Oryx would show up later. Uh, we didn't We didn't know that. When, when we first fired up Crota's end, were any of us thinking, I'm going to prove my existence via the sword logic by destroying Crota like, goes, with his own sword? Goes back like, to I'm one of those quotes, man. His soul was set in motion long ago. He calls out in the darkness answers. What if that's a reference to Crota calling out to his father? And we are the ones who initiated that call. Long ago might not have been so long. That's that's, that's it's ridiculous spinfoil in comparison to the overarching idea of like the pact and the worm gods. But I might well, cons- I'd start to consider it. What if what if that's Osiris? Mm. What if Osiris set this in motion long ago? Uh, you know he he put he put the call he went into the gate networks he put the call out he got Toland obsessed with discovering this next realm you know toland manipulates the first crota fire team and eris into going down there toland makes it not expecting eris to make it out eris makes it out puts us in motion against crota and then that in turn you know gets oryx into our environment which is what osiris wanted all along because maybe osiris didn't have a way to directly challenge oryx without this grand manipulation Maybe Osiris wants the darkness to come straight to us because he has some kind of challenge to issue forth for it. Mm. Or perhaps he just wants to know what it is. Yeah. Maybe what drives the warlock to madness is truth. There you go. Or wanting to know the truth, perhaps, and not knowing it. The the final truth. The last truth. The final shape. (laughs) Uh... But yeah, this is Golgoroth, by the way. (laughs) 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 We keep getting derailed by Crota somehow. Uh, but yeah, so Golgoroth's Golgoroth's cellar. 
Uh, that is a Tablet of Ruin in there. Uh, it is the only time you see a Tablet of Ruin, even though every description of Oryx says he wears them around his waist. Uh, he does not. There's no character model in the game <laughs> of Oryx wearing the Tablets of Ruin around his waist. Uh, the only one we ever see here is but is the one in Golgoroth's lair. It's also the case, though, that in the other variant of him where he has, where he does finally appear in King's Fall, he's massive. So you could imagine potentially those things hanging at his waist like we would have a clip of ammunition if we were wielding a weapon. I guess that's true. I mean, you could run right up to the edge there and look at him. I've th- you know, tossed throwing knives at him mm. plenty of times uh, <laughs> to know what his waist looks like. Uh, I won't tell you where I was throwing my knives. But <laughs> oh, my. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not there. And, I mean, that... I get that just leads to another spin foil theory that no Oryx that we ever fight in the game is a real Oryx. Otherwise, he would have the tablets around him. But that's a whole other thing. Uh, but we know that the death, six deaths ignite the tablet. Uh, and that is a quick end to anything. Uh, so these tablets feed off light. I have to mention these tablets get supercharged by the sort of pure light of a guardian. Uh, versus sort of the the corrupted light that exists all through that that particular area you know the six orbs that hang on the ceiling and the main orb that summons Golgoroth himself uh, and our ability to sort of reclaim it and this that goes back to the line from King's Fall which is uh, you did not keep it you set it free and again I bring this line up from Vault of Glass Guardians make their own fate uh, this is a stark defiance of the sword logic we did not take that light. We didn't mantle Golgoroth. We didn't assert our will over its will. We set the light free, and the light gave us strength in return. Uh, and just that single mechanic, that mechanic of freeing something that was trapped, which happens to be light, and then the light gives us something for it. That's the exact opposite of of all the hive's philosophy about taking power. Uh, this is the light giving us power because we, we purified it. Uh, we brought it back. We literally brought it back to the light with our very presence. And not even like, I have to imagine that in the course of thing, not even expecting anything in return. Like we, we released the light because it was the right thing to do. Mm. And the the beneficial outcome there is that the light augments our ability to to destroy this being, this creature of the darkness, this potentially this vessel of the deep itself. Uh, the most. Although I have to imagine. Go ahead. No, I was just simply going to say the most symbolic of victories of all. Yeah. Uh, also, Oryx, if you're going to make a vessel for the deep, don't give it a giant glowing weak spot. <laughs> Did you learn nothing from Fogoth? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Although there, the, so the potential there is that Fogoth was a was, <laughs> mistake by Crota. Oh god! <laughs> Yet <laughs> again, was another time when <laughs> disappointing <laughs> son. And that happened. Oh, right. Crota! Well, that happens. So that's in in the in the Court of Oryx thing where they're talking about is it Kragor? I think. The one that controls ogres. And Oryx basically says, you will control all new flesh. Like, all new flesh will be under your control. 
which is all new ogres. And Crota says, nah, I'm going to go make some ogres that you can't control. Uh, and that could potentially give you Fogoth. And then Fogoth has a giant weak spot. It's like, good job, Crota. You made an ogre that Kragwar can't control. And it's got a weak spot the size of a small car in its chest. You know, every time, every time we talk about Crota, I hate him more and more and more just because he's such a... I'm not going to say it, but what a whiny little jerk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet we get a full expansion with the raid. What if with we him. And we just get the sisters in a quick little mm. easy battle. What if Crota yeah, is... Well, so, or the daughters. Yeah, well, let's, let's push you. So let's. So we have... We all. I think we all know the mechanics of Golgoroth at this point. You know, you free the corrupted light, you purify it, uh, and you use it back against uh, Golgoroth. Don't complete the tablet. Uh, or to wipe out your existence. We don't know which t- particular tablet that is. Like, I haven't deciphered the runes on the tablet yet. I have to imagine that they just say, uh, kill everything once lit. <laughs> uh, so, uh, tablet of ruin, ear decrees, uh, Crota rebuked once again. Uh, from the temp. This is great. Again, temples of his son. So we know the temple of Crota as it exists. But here we have, like, just like the shrines of Oryx, we have the temples of his son, meaning there's multiple temples of Crota. Uh, we just happen to find the one where he was on that given day, like his vacation home temple. I don't know. Uh, Golgoroth doesn't have any particularly amazing abilities. You know, he shoots those little axion dart blobs at us. Uh Although, what is the the Which, effect? They it's like a poison uh, effect, yeah, isn't it? Ogre's yeah, venom. ogre venom. Ogre yeah. venom. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's another. We were talking about the war priest. How the war priest had those kind of taken abilities. That's kind of another thing with Golgoroth there too, shooting those little orb things, kind of like the taking or the uh, the taken uh, cabal. Yeah, the centurions. Yeah, guys, the centurions. So that's you know, another example there. I don't think so. Any anything missing from the Golgoroth encounter other than it's really close ties to the lore? It doesn't. Do you think so? I love the, I love the model. I think Golgoroth. I, oh, I love wow. the music in that fight too. Oh man, I look forward to the Golgoroth challenge every sort of like other mm-hmm. week or every third week uh, with the rage. Just because I I yeah. love that fight. I love the arena. No, I love the music. It's, everything about that encounter I think is really great. My my favorite part about that fight is if you defeat him and then you you have the poison, and then while everyone's in the pit collecting their rewards, you, you just stand right next to him, him. Oh, with the, uh, and the... you'll you'll explode and blow up, and everyone freaks out for like a second. <laughs> everyone's like, funny. "What? Why do we? Why? Why do we? Why?" Oh, <laughs> Jeff, you troll. <laughs> what is what is the name of that effect? Uh, Unstable light. Unstable light. Which makes even more sense if you're setting it free because it's a yes. big old explosion. Mm. You are con- like basically freeing it of all the taken energy that it used to have, or the dark energy, or whatever you will call it. Yeah. You know, needless to say, if you're letting something, a lot of something go in chemical reactions, there's always going to be some kind of explosion. Like if you're dropping, uh, God, I can't remember. Yeah, like if you're dropping cesium into water, it'll explode. Could similar reaction, for example. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. You know, looking at the 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 hard raid mechanics in this because we knowing that this raid was designed the hard raid first, and then Dumped they kind of down. made it easier for yeah. the normal normal world. Yeah. So like knowing we you know in the war priest in the hard mode, you know, he kind of takes the power from the from the pillars each round, and then hard mode Golgoroth kind of you have that unstable light mechanic so it's kind of cool to see how those work mm. yeah i love it's weird like i haven't run the regular mode raid in a really long time uh but i was helping i was sharpening some people through and like even way back like in the uh with the tomb ships where you have that like halfway point that you can jump on and i'm like mm-hmm. oh I totally forgot about this. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> what, what a great addition you just made to this. Uh, and the same with jumping into the pit with Golgoroth, where there's no there's no light detonation because that's always like a panic. Like, call it out, call it out. Who has it? Who has it? Who has it? It's like, oh, nobody has it. You can just stand no here and shoot the whole time. Mm. <laughs> so Golgoroth down. Uh, we exit out that little that little cave in the back, and that takes us to the transept. Uh, transept is highly common. It's a so this is interesting. So this is why I want to map kings fall a little bit and sort of look at these spaces because a transept is something that exists in grand churches, which are also basilicas. So this is another architecture term, but this transept doesn't necessarily seem like it is part of the basilica uh, or any of the other parts of the raid architecture that we've encountered at this point. Uh, And now we can discuss the nature of the pistons. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Uh, Excuse the the crass language, but I I believe in Bungie, though, it was officially referred to in development as the dick wall. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) The dick wall. Oh, boy. Yep. Uh, Keep it classy. This is... so. So this is a weird space, uh, this thing, but this is also the space where we, again, encounter that little spark of light, uh, and it tries to murder us again. Uh, it's, we don't see it often in the raid, but it, now it makes its appearance. Like, for some reason, downing Golgoroth prompts this thing to come back out of hiding, uh, and whether at this point it is Toland just fascinated with what we've done so far and being like oh yeah i forgot i'm supposed to be leading them through this thing uh or serve some other purpose this is sort of like the classic oh look jump here or stand here right where i am Mm. haha you're dead (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it happens in the very first mission like in as soon as you board the dreadnought when with the uh you have to use your ghost to make the uh Oh yeah, the the, the, bridge. the the bridges appear, and the first section is missing. But if you so if you jump right on top of the spark, you're dead. Uh, same thing happens here. So in this area, uh, we've got the uh, that that kind of Easter egg basketball court or whatever you want to call yes. it, right? Have you done that drop? I have not done it yet. I wonder uh, if it'd be worth going in there just to look around and see if there's any little lore hints because I I've, I've always wanted to do it, but. Every time I get there, people are just in such a hurry, and the groups I run with yeah. could really care less. So we'll, we need to do that, I think. I think we should take a team in there and do it as well. I remember when it was first discovered, like, I watched that sort of live stream, and uh, who was it that was doing it? Was it Fruit? first? 
No, it was not fruit. It was uh, Dado. I'm Wasn't it Dado who got in there yeah, first? Maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, and they spent like 16 hours straight in there trying to figure things out. Mm. <laughs> like they would ju- they didn't sleep. They got in there and were just exploring every single inch trying to figure out what was going on in there. <laughs> and then like four hours after the end, Luke Smith says, oh, yeah, no, it's just a little astray. The basketball court yeah. means nothing. And then <laughs> meanwhile, dying. like Datto like, and oh. Paul Leppard are like, you're serious? <laughs> you re- really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I watched Giggle Monster for like three hours trying to figure oh, it out. Man. Like, mm. But so on one hand, I love that they they sneak hidden bits of architecture in there, uh, and on the other, it's like, oh man, what what a huge troll! I mean, like uh, they have a statue in there, so like the lore implications of that. It's, <laughs> can, exactly, like you know it. Mm. <laughs> I can't get over that fact because then Luke Smith just goes ahead and says, "Oh, you mean the basketball court?" And I'm like, "But the statue, but hive commune with it." Okay. <laughs> and they control they control the ruptures, the slam dunking. Like, what is <sighs> it's it's Space Jam on the dreadnought? Something it has to do something. Hmm. What does this mean? I still want to go there. Yeah, let's do it. It's just weird that that like they would be like, "No, there's nothing there." But for how long were they like? We won't tell you if there's another chest in the vault of glass. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> well, there was. Yeah, we found that chest. <laughs> yeah, that they added a year later. Hey, yeah. It's there, right? <laughs> mm, got down. So, uh, but this whole—I mean, I don't—I don't know about you guys. Uh, this the transit is kind of a joke. If you have anything that gives you aerial mobility, I—I I cut through the whole thing. Sorry for the pun with my sword. I just skip every platform. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's not difficult to just bust straight across. This thing isn't. You could just be a warlock and then you wouldn't need mm. a sword. <laughs> yeah. No, with it. the sword, you can sword hack straight up the walls. You don't even. Oh, yeah. There's there's no even jumping required. And if you have a Twilight Garrison, it's even easier. Oh, you yeah. Can, I mean, you can clear the entire <laughs> portico with Twilight Garrison. <laughs> Never mind this. This particular piece shout out to I'm pretty sure though I'm pretty sure though I've sat <laughs> at the door at the end of that longer than I've actually spent running through that total just waiting for that <laughs> oh, yeah. one guy to get <sighs> no, I mean you gotta you gotta experience it I mean you gotta do it and learn it and everything I get that but holy moly you know how did you make it this far into the game not being <laughs> able to jump from A to B oh it, don't even get me <laughs> well, no, that's the whole it's thing, so, right? The, the vault oh, of man. glass taught us. I'm looking at you, K Dub. I'm looking like the, at you. The vault of glass taught us that nobody can jump in this game, and then Crota Zen taught us that if you can skip mechanics, people are awesome at yeah. jumping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but now we get the King's Fall, and everybody's forgotten how to jump again. So I went and spent two and a half hours on the, uh, the ships. <laughs> what? In the beginning. One person I was could in not that make raid. it for two and a half I'm hours. I'm sorry, what? Why didn't you just pull them through? Yeah, pull them through. Don't pull them it was, through it, that. It was early enough that they wanted the... Um, oh, they, they wanted the chest? Called. They get the... Yeah, the they chest. the chest. Yeah, and so we were, everyone was waiting. It was just... It was oh, brutal. Man. I could have walked away, <laughs> made several meals... <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure I had Netflix on. It's <laughs> like I'm sure two episodes even... of House of Cards right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I feel like we got to, we eventually got to the War Priest, and then because of 
reasons were unable to kill him and just disbanded that so, raid, right? Man. Like, I don't think we got very far. We, we kind of regrouped a couple times. We ended up some... Okay, so I did more damage on Golgoroth, and I was I was um, the one taking the, uh, the distraction mm -hmm. than this said person did standing in the oh, pit. Oh, man. I don't know how. <laughs> just a rough night. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll continue Your single on. shot to take the gaze with your black spindle does more damage than somebody standing down there it, pumping it, ammo. It, <laughs> yeah, and apparently I had, like, like some shots, errant shots with my machine gun when I was trying to shoot the orbs that probably hit his oh, body, which probably did, like, 30 See, damage. See, that's, that's when I, I normally would go, oh, anteater, what does that even mean? And then I just kind of, like, disappear. <laughs> and then disappear. <laughs> Very quietly. Also worth noting that since the War Priest, at this point, most people probably do have their black spindle equipped. Like, the the weapon of the daughters turns into one of the most powerful weapons to take on some of these bosses with. So poetic. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's... So we get through... Get past the dick walls. Uh... <laughs> The spark reappears. We see the spark again. Uh, it leads us through the doorway to make these the vertical jumps. I don't even... Does this room even have a name, or is this, that nah. still the transept at that point? I don't, yeah, I don't think it has a name. Uh, and that leads us to the threshold for the, the big showdowns. Uh, the spark becomes very important at this point. Uh, and this is the second time we encounter, directly encounter, Ir Anuk and Ir Halak, since we encountered them previously in the story missions. Uh, I have their Grimoire cards here, but we've talked about them in the past. We talked about them during a lot during the uh, Books of Sorrow episodes. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's a lot of need to go into detail about them. You know, we talk about Ir Anuk is the Unraveler, Ir Halak, uh, the Weaver. No. Ir Anuk is the Weaver, Ir Halak is the Unraveler. Correct. Uh, and where they stand. Although, you know, they're described in the Grimoire as standing at the front and back of Oryx's Dreadnought, yet in the threshold we encounter them staring at each other's feet directly across from each other <laughs> uh, <laughs> on top of two giant platforms. Uh, there's a couple mechanics at play here. Uh, and it is the mechanic that becomes super important for the entire rest of the raid at this point, which is being torn between dimensions. Uh, you know, in this fight, it's random. In the Oryx fight, it's deliberate. But what is causing this? Like, what is torn between... And I, I've mentioned this, but torn between dimensions is l exactly what Toland is experiencing. Uh, mm -hmm. And personally, again, I like to imagine that the torn between dimensions thing isn't our choice. This is something Toland does to help us because uh, he understands the mechanics of these spaces. He understands the hive architecture. He knows that without giving us sort of like this gift or without like he again, Toland's tricks, he is tons of tricks up his sleeves he has the power to do this uh it is toland tearing us and saying hey here's how you do like now now come get me follow the spark i'm gonna tear you now come follow me uh which allows you to sort of capture that brand uh which allows you to steal the power of the uh the weaver and the unraveler 
Uh, I mean, that's just my take on it. Uh, to me, it's a take that makes sense. Uh, if this spark is indeed Toland, this is sort of all his doing. Uh, but these these two daughters don't put up much of a fight, <laughs> to be totally honest with mm, you. No. In uh, the days of Touch of Malice, they don't, but prior true. to that, there was some challenge. But even in terms of mechanic, like, they never move. You know, all they do is count down. Like, th- this fight is a timer. Like, you're trying to beat a timer. Uh, mm-hmm. For the creators of the totems, the oversoul, the weapons of the Dreadnought, yeah. the death song, it's it's definitely underwhelming for me. Just knowing how powerful they are, mechanic-wise, that fight is... I'd always... Now when I fight, like, knowing the backstory on the, in the Books of Sorrow... When I do that fight, it just like, it makes me angry inside because like this fight should be so much. Better. Yeah, they're like a footnote in this raid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, foot, the fact and a footnote the matter compared is, to Crota too, given that he has his own entire raid. Yeah, exactly. Out of yeah. all the like you know, children of Oryx, he's by far the most disappointing. Then again, mm-hmm. I I, I don't I don't raid. suppose that the sisters have been beaten by a like DDR pad though. So I guess you know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, even in this raid, they kind of get that footnote because you know when Bungie did the added the challenge modes, they kind of did it to the three main sections, and so they did the War Priest, Golgoroth, and Oryx, and then the sisters didn't even get, or the daughters didn't even get a challenge. You know, any and even a challenge yeah. in there. They don't even con- consider them a a major checkpoint. It would seem in the fight. <laughs> yeah, I mean even. Like, so I have the two cards right here. It's like, uh, like Ir Halak, she plies her blades upon the fabric of space, cuts the seams, pulls apart the cloth, and leaves the world in tatters. No, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. She hovers on that platform and stares straight down <laughs> and mutters words at us. <laughs> Accepts my bulletins. My yeah. Bulletins. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna play. Yes. I'm gonna does. come in at the opposite direction and say, look, these are these are the, you know. Oppenheimers of the Dreadnought, you know, they're the creators of these massive weapons and these these uh, these tools of destruction, and they don't have to fight because they've they've got these weapons. They've got their their finger on the button of the bomb, ready to drop it, you know, type of thing. And so that's not their that's not their primary goal is to get down and dirty and and you know exchange blows as much as it is to to. To, they're kind of the thinkers, in my opinion, the the creators. So, but then why are they here? I don't to to ravel, unravel, and and weave. You know, mm. I mean that's their. They're but they're just like they're to hover and get shot. Why aren't they at their positions at the front and back of the ship? Well, that's then it's, true. I, 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 it's his because final the doors line open and they're like, oh, we got to mm. get to our positions. Let's go. <laughs> you know like, what oh, it crap, is? someone made it, it this far. It's the last tithe to Oryx. They are part of his argument, right? Because you, in order to kill Oryx, and in, even I think it's in the worm food card in the grimoire, excuse the clicking that you can probably hear. I'm looking it up right now. It, Oryx literally says, you know, what if they destroy my court what if they destroy crota etc etc you know what then if they make it and actually come to fight me and if i'm defeated if it gets that far let me be worm food mm-hmm. yeah yeah to that point i think you know there it is a testament to their power and the, the fact that they are the mm. 
the last step to Oryx. Like, Oryx has them. Like, he, they are his shield, so yeah. to speak. Like, the last defense to Oryx is his daughters. Yeah. I mean, it says here in the, you know, in uh, Frank, the 50th, like, uh, fragment in the Book of Swords. Lately I have realized how much I depend on Crota and my daughters, and even upon my court. If I lost them, my outlays would exceed my intakes. My tribute would not be enough to feed my worm. Mm-hmm. So why does he just leave them exposed to get their heads blown off? Well, okay, so without without <laughs> our, our guide, without the, the spark getting us to that point where we have the power to withstand, to, to, to live through this massive you know explosion that they they eventually give off i mean anyone that walks in that room that doesn't have that knowledge or can't get to that that power is done i mean that they're not going any farther they're not going to make it to oryx so that's true that's so the the wild card here is that if it is toland who's tearing us and showing us where this thing exists to give us this aura of immortality or to steal the brand of each daughter uh, that's that's the wild card. That's what that's what they didn't expect. Like the same way the war priest never expected guardians to challenge him. He was expecting mm-hmm. hive to challenge him. Uh, you know the same way that in Gold it was Girl, never expected that we would pure free. Yeah. So, but this means that at this point we are wholly dependent on Tolan's interference. Without him to tear right. us, without him to to show us how to expose these platforms, to show us where this this brand is that allows us to steal the power of the daughters, without him, it's over. Like they count down, and sixty mm-hmm. seconds later, we're unwoven and rewoven into whatever something else. The scrub brush for their hive toilets. Who knows? <laughs> uh, they can make us into whatever they want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that. So that's that's the that's the point. I mean, we've got this guide, and without this guide, we're lost. We're lost in the in the forest. We're lost in the wilderness, or the you know, mm-hmm. and we don't have we don't know where to go. Yeah. So that that kind of brings up a couple different points as well. And you, know, on one hand, we're either completely indebted to Toland and can't really take any, or at least a lot of the credit for defeating mm-hmm. Oryx here and aren't as powerful as some in the tower may think we are aren't as impressive as we may think we are or on the other hand it may be it is it was oryx leading us to do this in which then to ask the question why would oryx lead us to this yeah so okay how about this now if we start thinking about the sword logic does that power that should have been handed to us because of us defeating him does that actually go to toland for his kind of of <laughs> part that he played in in the defeat if if it is if it is toland you know what i mean well, is it so- kind of like tied not tied but but is it you know technically we're his blade and what we just did fed him or 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 you know via the sword logic gave him more power? Hmm. Yeah, well, so this is like the great question. The So the end of the King's Fall card, we read the, the first part of it. Uh, but let's, I'm going to go back, I'm going to read the whole thing. So the, the parts we didn't read. Uh, <clears throat> so King's Fall. 
Uh, presumably, this is Tolan speaking. Uh, where are you going? No, wait, listen. I was right at first. In the ever-expanded, blighted place, even light must obey the sword logic. Even you, guardians, you best and brightest of a dying dawn. You drew blood in honor of the taken king. The war priest did his duty, and you did yours. Oryx was challenged, yes, but challenged in the way of the hive, which is to say that challenge is worship, is challenge, is power, sword logic. You played your part well. You were not supposed to touch the light. How did you find your way into the king's cellars? How did you even recognize that blighted drop for what it was? Do you not know that the hive pursue light precisely for the purpose of devouring it with slavering jaws and slick, greedy, gulping throats? How did you take, or rather untake, the blighted light that Oryx gathered in offer in sacrifice of Akka and ignite it so that it burned and burned in the darkness? It was barely light anymore, but you took it, and when you took it, you did not keep it. You set it free. You fools, you disastrous, bumbling squanderers, it's not right. Who, will na who now shall be first navigator, lord of shapes, the harrowed god, the taken king? Not you. You might have been kings and queens of the deep, but you have toppled Oryx and you have not replaced him. There must be a strongest one. It is the architecture of these spaces. Why are you leaving? Uh, well, I'm yeah. <laughs> so again did did if this was Tolan's doing if he was the one who led us here uh he was expecting a different outcome <laughs> by the the tone of this card uh or maybe he wasn't maybe he's he's posturing knowing that a vacancy has opened <laughs> uh and Bife we talked about this on Guardian Radio where you you sort of proposed that this was engineered by Tolan so he could step into mm. Oryx's position here. I mean, at least in this instance, it also demonstrates perhaps how, like, maybe that position, and I go back on what I said earlier with this, I'm well aware, but maybe the fact that he is stepping in there is partly due to the fact that he's so obsessed with the sword logic and he sees that this is a necessary part of reality like, there's always got to be someone at the head of the ship. Yeah. Or that he's so obsessed with the study of this, he knows that it will collapse without somebody there. Mm. So in order to preserve it for further study, he has to step in to do that. Yeah, worth, yeah. worth thinking about for sure. It, aside from any of that, I mean, it's just tough to guess. At, obviously, it's tough to guess at the motives of Toland, etc., just because, yeah. I, it, you know, we don't even know. Like, it's very easy to speculate that the spark in the raid is him, but to be brutally honest, we don't know that it is. So, it, yeah, exactly. It's, it's all exactly. spin foil at this exact moment in time. Well, that's the so. Yeah. And Dragon, you proposed this earlier that maybe it's Oryx leading us all the way through. Uh, in which case, why is Oryx giving us the tools necessary to destroy everything that he has built over millennia? Uh, and that leads on a different path of Oryx wanted us to destroy him. Uh, before we get into the motives, let's talk about <laughs> the Oryx fight. <laughs> so, and real quick, real quick, just talking about that, what we were t discussing. Um, you know, the one thing that sticks out to me on that card too is that you played your part well. Um, and it definitely kind of has that tone of, you know, 
you know, you, you did what you were supposed to do now. Almost, almost like, okay, now back away. I let, used you. Let, yeah. You, yeah, were yeah. A, small. you were but a tool, mm-hmm. a means exactly. to accomplish an end. Yeah. But we've got, yeah. and we've got it, that sense from the very beginning of destiny though. You yeah. Know, especially with Torrent. the Vanguard tell us to go do something and we go do it. Like there's huge mechanizations going on, but we're just like, you know, we are, we're, we're the knife, <laughs> like mm. of the light. Mm-hmm. Like this is our shape. Our shape is destruction. <laughs> mm. All we do is march around and destroy things uh, without ever asking why. Yeah, and then another idea that I just kind of thought of with the orb too is, you know, we know that Osiris, you know, we from the the Hall of Souls rupture, you know, we get that ghost reading where it's, mm-hmm. Osiris believed all the shrines were connected and went searching for their nexus. And then Ghost tells us, I think we found it. And did I tell you Osiris never returned? So, you know, what if Osiris is now, you know, if he was searching for this nexus and then basically found it and was is kind of in that space with us somehow and he's the one now leading us or directing us i just he def- i just don't understand why the brands exist <laughs> <laughs> like why why yeah. would oryx you control the dreadnought it's your throne world it is your sword space it is your your personal ascendant plane why leave the tools of your own destruction laying around for mm-hmm. someone to find? It's like leaving a loaded handgun in your house for your kids to find. Like, it's just a bad idea. Mm. You're going to get shot <laughs> yeah. eventually. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of Again, lot of Again, sense. this is all assuming that what happens happens and not that Oryx's intention from the very beginning was to get us to destroy him or at least destroy his worm. Mm-hmm. Or potentially that our uh, reality was unweaved and weaved to how the sister or the daughters and Oryx wanted us to see it. Yeah, that's a whole other thing, you know. You know, again, I've always postulated, you know, maybe the Oryx we're fighting isn't even Oryx. Like, he's so... He's a god, or he's considered at that point. He's so unbelievably powerful. Why show up at all? Uh, maybe the like is the Oryx we fight like a, a woven version of the daughter's reality? Are they controlling everything we see from the second well, we step in that room? Again, it's it's all to do with like he has to show up at that point for the sake of the argument, right? Like. For him, the universe is just a sequence of challenges, and if he isn't strong enough to crush these guardians, then he isn't strong enough to be the Taken King. This is this is part of his very existence. He's predicated on the need to challenge us. Is predicated the right word there? Am I getting that wrong? No, you got it right. Okay. <laughs> Phew. Well, again, again, my my belief is that it's all it was all set in motion by Oryx because he needed his worm destroyed so he could truly be free. Uh, and that is where the guardians step in like that. And but he has to make it look like he's putting up a fight, uh, because the worm inside him is still connected to the worm gods, and the worm gods would never let Oryx just destroy his own worm. So he's got to put up put up this this play. He's got to put on a show. Uh, meanwhile, his plan in the background is destroy this thing inside me so I can finally be free. 
But we haven't even talked about the Oryx fight itself. <laughs> <laughs> so much. So much. Sister, sisters are down. Spark is waiting. Uh, grab the spark. And I don't know about you guys, but the first time I saw this, like I'm like, this is a this is a raid boss. This is awesome. Like mm-hmm. uh, the music kicks in. His gigantic form crawls up the front of the dreadnought. Like mm-hmm. this is this is an awesome, awesome raid experience. <laughs> yeah, that was the moment watching it on stream since I was at work um, that I was like, God, I wish I'd like experienced this blind. <laughs> yeah, none I of, intentionally I, none of the stuff before that. It was when Oryx pops up, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like, I, I still, I still remember. Yeah. I think it was the longest I'd ever gone. Seeing T Rex's reaction on YouTube, just sort <laughs> yes. of like yes. he's he's looking directly down as the spark spawns, and then it disappears, and Oryx just comes up, and like he doesn't even wait to f- like for him to finish the coming up animation. He just turns down, and is like, "Okay, nope." Nope, 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 nope. Runs through his entire raid team. They look at him. They turn around. They see it. And it's just an explosion of screams. And it's the most glorious thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had a buddy who I is probably he did the raid the first time completely blind, probably two months after it came out. He was in his menu, like changing his like he had just got some drops from the daughters, and so he was looking at his gear and. Oryx had popped up, and so he came out. It's, he was sitting right in front of him. He was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like this really loud <laughs> scream. Everyone just starts laughing. <laughs> oh, gotta love that first. That first reaction mm. is awesome. I think I think I actually have a video on YouTube after we'd seen it for the first time. I did a like mock thing where we went up and did the fight for the first time, and I recorded my fire team just trying to run out of the room and said it's the Monty Python <laughs> thing where it's <laughs> in the Holy Grail, just run away. <laughs> run away <laughs> run away <laughs> oh, that's I love the music there too uh, that's last stand off the Taken King soundtrack mm. uh, I love the way the music syncs up with the fight uh, everything about it. I, I was once reading strategies for the raid and somebody recommend turning the music off for this fight because the music creates such an intense environment that it's designed to sort of like stress you out. Uh, you have all these things you have to pay attention to. So many moving parts, especially in the hard mode raid. Uh, there's so many moving pieces. And then to have the music just like grinding stress at you while you're trying to do it. Uh, but I love it. I would never turn the music off. I love this theme. It's too good. Yeah, that's way too awesome. good. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a bit about, about orcs in this fight. Uh, so we have torn between dimensions again, uh, but this time it's intentional. It's, it's sort of this, he, you know, moves around the arena and slams the platforms and that leaves this orb you can pick up, this brand you can pick up that tears you. Uh, again, this, this leads a little bit towards it's Oryx that is giving us this ability. This, this torn between dimensions is his doing. Uh, you know, and if you're using the sham fight argument where it's like the slam makes it look good, but he's leaving behind this tool by which you can, you know, move the fight along and, and defeat him. Uh, or it is just, again, it could be the possibility of it being Toland, uh, following the spark around the platforms. 
uh, grabbing the brand, then you have sort of the the vessel, the vessel of Oryx running around, uh, the light eater ogres. What are the, some of the other fun mechanics in this particular raid? Light eater uh, knights and the vessel. Oh, the light eater knights, uh, the random tomb ship that comes flying through that we've all died either by slamming into the side of it like if you're if you're the runner <laughs> if you're the runner you take a flying leap off the uh that last platform and you're a little bit behind mm. on your running there's a good chance to just slam right into the yeah. side of that ship <laughs> or you surf on it for a little orcs's <laughs> greatest weapon is not causality yeah. or paracausal nonsense it's most certainly not his hive weapons nah it's just kinetics Yes, it's the architects. It's misadventure. <laughs> oh, misadventure! She strikes again. Uh, I I pride myself on getting that brand so fast that the ship hasn't even come out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love personally. For, I love running. It's my favorite part of the entire raid. I love being the runner during the Oryx fight. It's damn tough though getting there uh, that quickly. Because like, well, I, I say that as someone who also runs the not at a warlock. I am a warlock. warlock yeah. I am hunter. a warlock. No way, hunter all the way. Uh, <laughs> or Titan. Titan's like the more casual. Now, you, like now warlock. you're just doing this to spite me, honestly. <laughs> well, no. So here's the thing. So I love what you got against warlocks, because, bro. Well, I love warlocks because once you've grabbed the brand, you can just like casually float back down to the battlefield. It's like. There's no stress at all. You're just like, oh, cool. I'm just going to, like, floof my way back down. No worries. It is not appropriate to refer to it as floofing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Goodness. Uh, I love love the speed (laughs) and recovery potential sort of of Titan. Like, it's the, I feel like Titan is the easiest way to get around those platforms. Uh, But, man, on a hunter, like, I... I can move around those platforms so fast as a hunter. I just, it's awesome. And I think hunter has the greatest sort of like disaster recovery potential as well. Because uh, if you're timing your jumps properly and turning your camera the way you're supposed to and using your momentum, even if you mess up a jump, your your recovery options on hunter are much higher than the other two jobs. Mm. Uh, but I love it, man. I love, I love running that. And my raid team's really good. They've got great callouts, and I know that I should be grabbing that brand right as the third Light Eater Ogre is being destroyed. Mm. Uh, I just listened for the callout to my team. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Light Eater Ogres. So, uh, again, these are Taken Ogres uh, with this unique name and this unique property where once you kill them, they leave behind... I think everybody calls them the bombs at this point. Uh, I don't know if anybody has different callouts for those. Oh, this is just another part where it makes it feel like Oryx is doing this on purpose. Yeah. Why are those guys even there to leave us those bombs? Like, Well, if we killed Golgoroth, why are you going to send regular taking ogres <laughs> after us? It, like, it's not just that, right? It's... um. <laughs> It, it's almost as though it goes into the thing of he isn't expecting you to set the light free. You know? But if he wasn't expecting us to set the light free, why send light eater knights out there to make up for the mistake? Right. Mm, fair point. 
<laughs> like, why does the vessel appear and go, oh, whoops, <laughs> there's corrupted light bombs. I better go destroy them <laughs> or eat them. Like, is that like a last ditch thing? Like, it, it like might not, In fact, it might not be that. It may be a way of saying, like, this is just a fail safe. Like, if these guys die, then we can have someone else pick these up. And lore-wise, it could be a way of saying the power that you may have just destroyed can still be passed on to someone else. Or at very least, you know, it's a way of saying, I deny you this power. It just seems convoluted. Mm. Like, because the knights sort of crawl up out of the sludge right as the ogres do. It's not like you kill an ogre and then orcs is like, oh, oh, crap, I better take care of that. And then summons <laughs> the knights. Like, these things are happening simultaneously. Uh, you know, those, those light eater knights or those... Uh, knights are being summoned before the ogres are even destroyed which means they're on the battlefield before these light bombs even come into existence but their only purpose is to eat those light bombs so we could chalk this up to a mechanics thing like in the game but but that wouldn't be fun know, would it yeah but story-wise <laughs> it's like um here's a thing here's an enemy that creates a thing that could use to defeat me but at the same time i'm going to create another enemy it takes away the thing that you could use to I could just not send the ogres out in the first place maybe like <laughs> mm. what's what, what are you thinking I mean uh, mm. but again he's got to make it look good if you go by the theory that he's got to make the whole thing look good then it all makes sense <laughs> well it's I mean you know in in I guess kind of a real battle scenario you know, you're going to send out your big guns, but if those big guns get compromised, you've got to have some type of backup plan to to take back control of those things. So maybe that's part of it. I mean, just high level. Mm. I mean, aside, yeah, aside from anything else, you're right. The ogres are the most uh, destructive of the hive's inventions, so it's natural to say, hey, this is a light eater ogre. This is specifically designed not to cause just destruction, but to kill guardians. So it's, I say guardians, anything that's capable of sort of siphoning light. I guess that's true. Why wouldn't you just put like more annihilator totems than there are guardians? <laughs> mm. Like se- seven annihilator totems. And there you go. Done. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fun game. Mm. <laughs> See us to sustain like, that for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, one titan has like titan scape between the two of them really quickly. Oh. Right. I mean, on it, like the annihilate, like I can deal with two annihilators on Crota's end. I don't even need to touch those damn things. I can just sort of like skate around the central platform, and it's fine. So it's plausible. Well, yeah, you don't even need. You could just grab the sword and jump across the. Who needs the bridge? Just clear the whole gap. <laughs> right. Uh, Trick them into thinking you're dead, and then self-res and pick up your buddies and keep going. It's yeah, all good. Okay. That. It's all good. You don't even need to do that. Uh, well, hell, I liked, I liked going well, in that other room and just squatting on top of that high block and then everything just left. They're like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, what a silly cheese. But this leads us to another interesting sort of, you know, mechanic in the game, which is a cool mechanic, but again, the what are its sort of implications in the game itself, which is the darkness dimension. Uh and if anybody out there has ever played Legend of Dragoon, every time this happens, all I can think of is Rose's character saying death dimension uh, every time it happens. But what is so now what 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 is this? Uh, you know, Oryx and 
we're, I'm going to skip over the light bombs part because I haven't seen the bomb phase in so long after the challenge mode was introduced. <laughs> uh, remember running around the platforms in circles, avoiding bombs? Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore, really. Uh, but, you know, he sort of backs off and creates this alternate dimension. It looks like a gigantic blight, sort of similar to the War Priest's Oversoul. Uh, and then one by one, we're drawn into it, uh, and we fight a, a shade of Oryx uh, in a completely other dimension, and in this darkness dimension. Is this him summoning us into the deep? Is this him creating like a pocket darkness world that he controls? Like he's so for me, this is this is his way of being able to, you know, engage us one-on-one or not necessarily one-on-one, but, but directly without risking, uh, his, the chance of a true death. You know, I mean, he can, he can say, look, I'm going to fight you now. Let's, let's do this. But if you win, huh, too bad. I'm still, I'm still here, you know? But even if he wins though, it, you go back to that one, uh, card, you know, if my, God, okay, it's worm food again. <laughs> <laughs> I, hate, I hate to bring this card up so many times. If my echoes are killed, and if I am killed in the material world, then I will be driven back to my throne in the Dreadnought. So at this point, the echoes are very much another piece of his tithe that he's throwing in. I guess it's all, kind of like all chips are down at this point. He's like, okay, screw it. Throw the kitchen sink at this thing. Right, right. So, but the dark, and then we have the sort of the darkness dimension gives him access to this unique, this unique ability, and you always see it right at the very end. Uh, if you're not, I mean, if you're not destroying the echo fast enough, you get killed by this, which is doxology. You know, uh, and the word doxology, you know, is just an expression of praise, like true praise, uh, like a high hymn. Uh, and we know that to praise something, you know, again, worship is death and death is love and love is worship like this, this logic that exists with the hive. Uh, but man, doxology is like insta death. Oryx, why don't you just use doxology against at the very start of this thing? Like <laughs> just dox us all immediately. <laughs> Like, why go through all the ritual of of all the other shenanigans when you you have this one ability that just shuts us down instantly? It's on uh, cooldown. Because it also, because <laughs> it exposes him, right? In, in that instance, he opens up his chest and exposes what I presume to be his worm. Well, doxology occurs in the darkness dimension. That's true as well. Hmm. So... So I've always sort of like wondered, like, man, what is, why is he, why is doxology saved for this one little area right here? Why did, as soon as he appears on the dreadnought, he, why doesn't he say, ch- like, challenge me? Here is the challenge, dox. Whoops, you failed. I win. <laughs> <laughs> like, why go through all this, make myself giant, punch things, shoot eyeball beams at you summon ogres like he could just dox us into non-existence uh, instantly maybe it maybe it's something that can only occur in this darkness dimension like maybe like again if this is a pocket dimension he's creating like is this the ascendant plane is that where he's dragging us uh 
if mm. you know space space is our dimension and the dreadnought is his throne world is this darkness dimension like a a, a pocket a, ascendant realm that he can drag us into where suddenly you know if doxology is a pure expression of praise and in the ascendant plane a well-formed idea becomes reality you know he's essentially doxing us out of out of existence uh can that only happen in this ascendant plane i'd never thought of that i'd never thought that it could have been a purely psycho mutable space made reality right in front of us it's yeah. awesome dude <clears throat> so and it is on a timer yeah. so yeah he's on cooldown it's his you know what it is it's his alt ability it's his super Uh, (laughs) (laughs) he sees it every time he's like okay supercharged let's try this out another time oh I got sniped (laughs) tell him you're mad so So. overpowered (laughs) but yeah that brings us to uh, what does it bring us to the phase that occurs before this is sort of like the most important phase where we steal this brand of immortality uh, and that allows us to detonate these light bombs created by the ogres. And we know earlier from the Golgoroth fight that by purifying light, it damages worms. It destroys the hive. Like this light that they tie to each other needs to be sort of tainted and corrupted and like cooked for the most part and then fed upwards. Raw light just devastates them. Uh, so... And this is very much this mechanic where we're shooting him in the chest, presumably to expose his worm directly to this intensely purified light that we're setting off. Uh, But then the question becomes, is this what he wants? He wants that worm destroyed. Uh, Because it binds him. He'll never be free to explore. He'll never be free to truly navigate everything he wants as long as he's bound by this worm this thing is overcoming us is nothing compared to overcoming this this tether he has to these worm gods through the worm that's inside him and i think he's smart enough to know that well i mean dude it brings you kind of to one of those earlier points that could have been made uh which is the book of sorrows that we have is not complete Right? Very true. Because, you know, even on the description mm-hmm. of Thorn, you know, 13th yep. Understanding, 7th Book of Sorrows, we've only got to what? Five. Five. And it's, you know, with the, how incomplete that is, we don't know what Oryx thinks at the very end of this. He's only started to transcribe his most basic thoughts after Zivu Arath and Savathun have really departed. So with that in mind, what's he next going to be thinking? Is he going to start to doubt his own existence? Maybe when he sees Crota dying, he's like, well, there's this thought wriggling in the back of my mind. I really did get the raw deal from the Worm Gods, and I'd like this to be over, and I just don't know how I can do that. And then the Guardians present this amazing opportunity to do that. (laughs) Yeah, so this kind of, I think, ties back a little to what X-Ray was mentioning before with Toland. Like, so would Oryx using cunning and you know treachery and trickery to allow us to defeat his worm? Like, does that? I mean, and that's not him taking the worm's new life. That's not him following the sword logic that he believes. 
you know, do you think maybe kind of like what you were just saying by, you know, later on he gets to this where maybe he sees sword logic from a different angle where it's maybe not always I must take, I must kill, but rather I must survive. Mm. Or I must rally in the case of setting the light free. Mm -hmm. Well, that's this implication sort of at the end of regicide. If, you know, that live stream is true and he does take himself sort of at the end. Did we put Gabble to sleep? Is that is what he? Happened? Yeah, I was going to say, is Gabble snoring? <laughs> oh, man, I, he's, I hope he keeps that all in. I mean, he can mute his track. At, uh, man, beta, Beta, when you get to this point in the podcast, just leave like an hour of dead air at the end of the podcast. That's nothing but Gabble. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I like awesome. to think, like <laughs> the word Sorry. we have. To <laughs> I'm sitting here and it's like 7:45 in the morning, and I've been podcasting all night. And Gabble is the one who fell asleep first. I know. I wish I had an air horn or something. Start, start playing the, the Crota music. You'll wake up immediately. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We have been uh, called the uh, was the NPR of Lar uh, Destiny yep. podcasts. Mm. So. <laughs> Well, so the so the other thing to consider at this point, if he really did take himself, right? So he's communed with the deep, he's slain Akka, he sidestepped the worm's control over him, or a huge portion of the worm's control over him. The possibly not his last step in getting this thing out of him is by taking himself, and by taking himself, he's completely removed himself from the influence of the worms they have no more control over him because not only has he sort of sidestepped their power by becoming oryx he is now like basically wrapped himself in himself uh and now the only thing left is to get this thing out of him uh mm -hmm. yeah while that might not have the control over him anymore it still might have that ability to feed off him in a way you know if it's so he still needs to kind of get it out yeah destroy and it. maybe he can't just reach inside himself and yank it out but he can certainly set the stage for the guardians to do it for him mm -hmm. i hate you Gavin. <laughs> this is, this me. Really <laughs> it's not going to come through in the final version of this podcast everyone but right now <laughs> We can just hear Gavel snoring in the background. I'm just like, we, we haven't heard him either. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just uh, I'm done. I'm <laughs> it keeps on getting worse and worse. I know. <laughs> I'm gonna try and control myself. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so, well, I think if that's the case, like the last part of this is that when we kill Oryx. He doesn't do anything that a hive normally does when you destroy them. Uh, in fact, once we get that last shot in, his entire physical form becomes like a calcified shell mm. uh, and goes floating towards uh, the fundament-like planet of Saturn. So a lot of people like to think that by destroying his physical shell, we've given the worm the opportunity to sort of emerge in its final form here. Uh, 
But the other possibility here is that without the worm, Oryx is free to just completely, he doesn't even physical form anymore. He's not bound to anything. He's no longer tethered. Oryx is now free to be whatever he wants. Uh, so the shell is completely irrelevant. But I, I'm open to both arguments that by destroying his physical form, we have basically created a chrysalis for the worm inside him to emerge. Uh, or that we have destroyed the worm completely and Oryx no longer requires a physical form to, to be the presence he wants to be in the universe. It's a horrifying thought yeah, I wish. if you go <laughs> with the argument that like the worms are Ahamkara. But if this is a chrysalis, it's going to erupt at some point. And it's, yep. Yep. That's well, like, going to be scary. Again, <laughs> again it, could, it, could hit, it could hit Saturn, which is very similar to the fundament. It could sink deep into Saturn. All that pressure and environment could create a whole new worm god or an Ahamkara or anything along those lines. Like the, It's so mm-hmm. similar to the very beginning story with the worms under fundament. Uh, it's 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 too much to to ignore the similarities that exist there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wish Gabble was awake because I know he's been one of the big supporters of the the chrysalis argument. Oh, that's oh my, that's actually kind of sad. Oh, well. <laughs> every time we we do the raid, every time you kill Oryx, he's like, oh, there's a giant chrysalis floating away. <laughs> Well, at this point, we've hit the three-hour mark uh, with this podcast, and I'm sure we've lost X-Ray and Gabble. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> X-Ray's around. He's is he? He's well. He's not here at the moment, but he's oh oh that's around. right. Look at that. Oh, that was a minute ago. Okay, so X-Ray's alive. Uh. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he's taking care of of little ones. Oh, all right, all right. Reasonable uh, excuse. So, yeah, we hit three hours. We didn't even get to some of the stuff I really want to talk about. <laughs> I didn't get to talk, <laughs> cover Touch of Malice or anything. Or the weapons we didn't or get, gear. Yeah, the mm. weapons, the Any gear, of the gear, Touch of Malice. <laughs> uh, more into Malak. Like, there's the the implications for Savathun and Jivu Arath in all this. Uh, all the scannable items. Yeah. So, I know that we said this is the, like, <laughs> this is like the sequel to the wrap-up. <laughs> we may be wrapping may up be the wrap up in a separate yeah. wrap up episode <clears throat> well yeah. uh, in true bungee fashion though if we do one more episode here it will be episode 7 <laughs> mm, uh, true. of the books of sorrow and we know 7 is a very important number in all these things so uh, maybe it's the best idea to sort of call it here and loop back around and we'll talk about things like how all the warlock gear is named for the worm gods themselves mm. and how the titan gear is actually the war priest's body parts and that's creepy. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and all the, uh, like, I mean, I love the weapons, uh, you know, with especially with Defiance of Yasmin and Doom of Chelchus, <clears throat> sort of like naming oh, off yes. creatures that were either taken or destroyed by the hive, which means who were Moraine, uh, Dristan, you know, we have Ilium, who's part of the uh, Amon Tin we've talked about in the past. Uh, who is Quillum? You know, was Dristan really the captain of the First Fleet? The First Fleet seems like it happened a long time ago, according to the Titan mark that references it. But this just happened recently. Like, <clears throat> there's too much. There's mm. so much to talk about. Uh, and then, you, you know, I think probably my favorite quote of those is the smite one, because it's 
it's interesting because it makes you wonder whether at these points it's Oryx talking about those that have challenged him because from his own ranks that is right yes because yes. you know it says in the description no tomb but the battlefield no legacy but that uh, but the scars we etch upon our foes that sounds like a very hive thing to do right no tomb but that the battlefield that sounds like very yeah it sounds very war priest <clears throat> war priestish to me mm. uh uh, Arn. So I guess we're gonna have to have a wrap up to the wrap up of the mm. wrap up, huh? Yes. Rapception. Like silence of uh, Arn. Uh, <laughs> without victory, we cannot go home. Which is the same thing that Cade echoes to us about how the cabal are kicked out of the mm. empire until they return victorious. Yeah. Uh, and then yet yeah, all of touch of malice, which is all kinds of implications for touch of malice. It's uh, <clears throat> ingenious. Uh, yeah. More talk of Malak, like all kinds of, all kinds of, there's, I mean, there's so much. And, you know, even at this point, if you're playing Destiny and you're feeling like it's a little stale or there's not a lot left to do or you're sort of bored with the content that exists, the fact that we're going to go into seven episodes <laughs> sort of just, and this is just <laughs> from the last expansion we got, uh, there's a lot buried in the game. Like, I know a lot of times it's just sort of like, jump and shoot, man. I'm jumping and I'm shooting. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but there's so much in the game, and there's so much lore, and there's so much story, and there's so much to talk about. When you start putting together the pieces, it gets really hard to stop. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and like, I'm even still discovering things aboard the Dreadnought that I don't know what they are. Uh, Oh, I'll, I'll stick those in the next episode. I've discovered some really weird stuff. I explore the Dreadnought a lot. Uh, I've broken Regicide 15 different ways by going places where I'm not supposed to and discovered all kinds of weird things. Uh, maybe I'll talk about those in the next episode. But, like, keep exploring. Keep looking for stuff. Uh, yeah, the game's finite. We know that. But... You know, we know from the basketball court, we know from the, is there another chest in the Vault of Glass? Like, there's still stuff hidden in there, and every time they update the game, they sneak new things in. <laughs> you know, whether it's character dialogue, or it's, you know, things we didn't notice, or some new thing to scan. Uh, Daily like, I think stories with extra missions. Yeah. Well, like, one of my favorite things was... So I, I made a list of scannable items here, and one of the ones I have the most is, uh, where is it? In the Temple of Crota. So when you first get in the Oversoul Throne on the mission uh, Last Rites, I believe it is, when you have to go and steal an essence of Crota's soul, those giant spinning columns on the two sides of the Oversoul Throne. Can you scan uh, one of them? You can. Oh, nice. I had no and idea. Ghost, yeah, and Ghost says it's a dimensional lock. As long as the turbine is stationary, this place and everything in it exists in only one realm. This must be how Oryx moves between dimensions. Damn. That's a huge implication about yeah. even the design of the Oversoul Throne. Mm. So, yeah, there's... There's more out there. Uh, you can scan the cedar in the Temple of Crota, too. Uh, 
it talks about hive launch sites. I mean, oh I'll, yeah, I'll and how Oryx yeah. is planning to reuse them if ever there's a point at which he's no longer fighting against the entire solar system and just wants yep. Earth. So, so yeah, there, I mean, there's still stuff out there. Go find it. Go break things. Put on your bones of Ao and equip a sword and jump to places you're not supposed to. I was watching an amazing video a couple weeks ago about a guy who found a way to break out of King's Fall and explore all the different areas separately by getting outside the boundaries of the environments. Uh, and you can see how the entire raid is built vertically, which is super interesting. Like, there is stuff out there to find, and there's there's so much just, like, interesting things to explore. So so go and do it. Like, when you're done, when you're done shooting your billion, billionth acolyte or thrall, uh, go go make some funny jumps. Go go you know sparrow hack through a wall somewhere well, and, and not only i mean not only is there still a ton of stuff to find related to the most recent expansion i mean there's so much that we haven't even began to touch on from oh, year man. one that we still oh. have to go i mean we've got we've got a lot more to come and you know at the it, as much as you know it's it feels like we've been talking about this about about uh you know, the Taken King uh, content for so long. I mean, it's relevant. It's more relevant right now uh, than anything else. So, you know, it makes sense that we focused on it. But as we go forward, you know, we're going to have, hopefully, I, I mean, we all think that with the uh, the new announcement with the Prison of Elders coming back, that we're going to get some more grimoire there and be able to, to you know, throw that into some episodes and, and tie that into to, who knows, who knows where that's going to tie in. Um you know, we've got so much more to come. And I know we say this after every episode, but it seems like every time we get done with one thing, I feel like we found more stuff to talk about. Like we, <laughs> like, like <laughs> as, as, okay, we're like, yeah, we're making a dent. No, we're not. We're not making a dent at all. Nope. We've got, we've got, you are, you are scratching the iceberg's tip. Yeah. Not even uh, picking at it. You're just <laughs> yeah. scratching. Well, this ha- I mean, it happens every time I make notes, right? Like, oh, this will be a short episode. This will be. This is like an hour and a half. This is a good ninety minute episode. Mm. And it's like three hours later and fifteen pages of notes <laughs> later. I'm like, there's so much more to all this. <laughs> well, we are. It. We, we are must go be deeper. Pushing, yeah, we're gonna be pushing about a three hour episode this time, which this is probably yep. gonna be our longest one, I think. Um, but so good. Nice. Oh man, this is this is great stuff. So have we have we uh, decided this is where we're gonna come to a close? Then I think yeah, it's we're wise. gonna stop it here. We're at, gonna stop it here at, at eight a.m. in the morning works. here for yeah. me. Yeah, I think it's probably a wise idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll, I'll toss this last this one last thing out there before we before we sign this off and and get some post Easter sleep. I don't know if you're in in milk chocolate comas or not. I think Gabble definitely is. Uh, uh, in, the, in one of the messages from Toland, he mentions that he's smuggling back Nightmare Arcana. Uh, but we never see any evidence of this. Like, what is the Nightmare Arcana? What is the possibility that it is Toland who manifests all the treasure chests in, in King's Fall? Uh, and that is him smuggling back the Nightmare Arcana. That... All the weapons and armor, uh, the ghost shells, the moldering shards. These are all things that Toland is trying to sneak out of the Ascendant Realm and give back to us. <laughs> Ooh. It's cheeky. I like that. Yeah. We'll talk about that in the next episode, though, when we talk about gears and weapons. Mm. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, it sounds like we are going to wrap this one up. 
And what a what a great episode this has been, man. This has been a fun one. Um, so good. Got a lot of, I mean, bye. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for joining us. This has been. Yeah, seriously. Thank you again for the invitation. This was an awesome show. <laughs> And you know what? Don't get me wrong when I say this, but I'm almost glad I missed the, the Reef Wars one that we originally <laughs> planned to do. Because, like, man, this is this ended up being seriously awesome. epic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's going to be very good. And uh, we, uh, I mean, you're always welcome to come back sometime and, and talk some more. And, I mean, you know, we probably won't do this, do the, the next piece to this episode right away we we kind of space them out a little bit but uh i mean if you want to come back and finish this one up with us i think that that i'm on board with it so i don't think anyone will argue yeah, that'd be, that'd if be you're fantastic. willing to wait a few months for university to stop throwing work at my feet then i will <laughs> happily jump on because we it we'll would keep be an touch. amazing we'll figure return. something out we'll, we'll yeah, figure well, it we'll, out we got a whole we got a whole month of special stuff planned for april so we probably won't get to this for at least a month so we got time Mm-hmm. Sounds good. April April is our uh, what we say six month anniversary of being uh, yes it is being a podcast. So we're gonna try to do some fun stuff with it. Yeah. So, all right, everyone. Well, thanks again, Bife. Thanks for everyone joining us and listening in. Oh, I mentioned this. I might have mentioned this earlier. I don't know, but uh, you'll probably hear this after it airs. But uh, I was on a recent episode of Destiny Reset which is kind of your, your general news and, uh, and destiny information podcast and had a good time there. Talked a little bit of lore, uh, but great group of guys over there. If you can check it out. Um, it was, it was a, I had a great time. So, uh, we'll, we'll throw a link to their podcast in our description, or if you're following us on, uh, on Twitter, um, you know, I've been tweeting back and forth with them a little bit on there so you can find, find them there too. Uh, but if you need to get a hold of us, we are at the ghost stories on Twitter. You can email us at destinyghoststories at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook and, and a few other places. So feel free to reach out to us however you can. We love the feedback. We love the comments. And we just generally like talking to our, our listeners as much as they uh, hopefully like hearing us talk. So thanks again, <laughs> and, everybody. And, uh, Bife, you got like a whole network. You got Guardian Radio. You have a YouTube channel. You get yeah, where can people find it, you? Plug away. Where can All find over you? the place. Um, okay, <laughs> so if you want more podcasting goodness, there's Guardian Radio, which I do every single week with the wonderful guys and gals over there. We we do general Destiny news, etc. But I'm the one who also tends to bring the lore and the PvP and sort of hardcore opinion. So, you know, yeah. it, it's there if you want to get a real nice mixed Destiny podcast. We're also the first ever, so... You know, that's feather in our cap. Um, if you want more from me personally, including law stuff, there's two places you can really go. First, one of those is YouTube, where I'm running kind of an interesting schedule with law things right now. I'm slowly trying to finish up a whole bunch of different projects, so it's like... <laughs> we'll, we'll see which one of these things pops out first, but it looks like it's going to be a Book of Sorrows thing, so I'm retreading the path that you guys have been going on for so long. Um, and of course the other place yes. is Twitter and you can follow me at Inside Destiny uh, in YouTube just search my name is Bife and you'll find it under my name is Jeff <laughs> so I mean yeah you go ahead I leave a lot of my uh, more personal ravings and banter and 
crazy nonsense on Twitter, so expect more than just Destiny and lore stuff. It, you know, expect me to throw some interesting stuff out there with regards to, like, uh, you know, like, what's going on in my life generally, and the other games that I'm exploring in terms of lore and all this other cool stuff. Nice. Awesome. So good. We know Destiny Con's coming up, and I think you're going to make the trip over here to the States, right? Oh, I am indeed. It's going to be rather fantastic. Fantastic. That That's is awesome. great. So, if, uh, if you're a fan, you can come and stalk him there <laughs> all right <laughs> let's uh let's call this a night and thank you everyone again for listening and bye for joining us as our special guest and have a good night thanks awesome yeah thank you guys